0: Hello, and welcome to Scuttlebutt, the War Movie Review Podcast. We're happy to have you with us as we take a look at films from the dawn of cinema to today. We aim to provide a raw and unapologetic review of each film's cinematography, historical accuracy, and delivery. In the process of analysis, certain details will be revealed. These spoilers are only divulged to ensure a fair assessment of each film. We head back to the trenches this week with Howard Hawke's 1941 epic, Sergeant York. As always, I'm joined by Mike A. Hey,
1: hey.
0: Mike B. Yep. Nate. Don't fuck up. An award-winning writer, historian, and professor, James Gregory.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Hey, man. Thanks for coming <laughs> back on due to someone's uh, technical issues. But uh, anyway, Def- so what do you guys think?
3: I, 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 well, I just want to start out retort. by saying I was the one that <laughs> fucked this last one up. We had recorded this podcast months ago. And it was it was long, but it was good. It's and amazing! I fucked it up because my stuff stopped okay. recording halfway through.
1: Okay, so we're 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 actually putting our cards on the table and saying that this is a re review of this. Oh, absolutely! Yes. Because okay.
2: we've talked about
4: because we've talked about well we've talked about we've talked about we oh, we've, we for the last like what how many months like three months we've talked about Sergeant York Sergeant York push a push up push pusha, yeah, push up push a, push, a, push, a, push a. <laughs> it's true you know yeah. it, it we, we we were hinting at the fact that we had done it or we were going to do it and then the the inside jokes became too prevalent so we couldn't ignore it so we had admitted to the fact that we had lost the episode but Brian had the first time James was on had flubbed this. I think almost six times, yeah, just like about. straight, like it, James it is was our first real guest.
0: So. Yeah,
4: yeah, and it was it was hilarious because I think we were all just dying laughing yep. at this. What also, and we we, uh, could more, we
3: could probably we can more like pinpoint it, and make it more entertaining for the listeners. To be honest, like yeah, last time we were all, were all over the, over the place, place. The first time. <laughs> time, yeah, and so yeah. Right. yeah. But we we can we can, bit, we can make it a little bit. I think we can make this a little bit better. So take two. It's all take good. Two,
1: and we can do the push-up
2: again. Oh, definitely.
0: But uh, anyway, so James, you know a little bit about Sergeant York, right?
2: Uh, I mean, just uh, just the, the little bits and pieces you get from the movie, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> like that scene where, you know,
0: he's gobbling like a turkey. You know, that's that's a great one. Yeah,
2: you know, know I, uh, I have a little bit of experience with his story. Though I think now since uh, the last time we filmed this, I can officially announce these things. So that works out for us. Mm-hmm. But December 19th, my book will officially be published. So and what's Texas that? What's that A&M book about? James? University. Oh well, uh, great. So so happy you asked, Mike. Uh, the the title maybe the title will help you. You know, I think even you can right, figure this one right. out. Right. Uh, unraveling the myth of Sergeant Alvin York, the other sixteen. Right. It's it's a uh, it's a big story. Texas A and M University Press is publishing it, and talking about the fact that the story of Alvin York is just a big fat myth. There's not really much truth at all to the matter, and it's exactly why you have me here to talk about this movie that is right at the heart of my discussion. Correct. <laughs> yeah, the well, that's the thing like is, that. like,
3: exactly, it's, yeah. Well,
1: this, it's, movie right invented, this movie invented a
3: lot of those myths, too, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah definitely, or at least it's cemented. Perpetuated, right. I would use yeah, the word right. perpetuated. I mean, yeah. Well, perpetuate would be fair enough, but I, my argument is that this movie... I mean, it cements it. Some of these things were made up by authors before the movie, Mm -hmm. in the 20s and in the 30s. And when the movie came out, it just... Anything that goes on the silver screen sends to cement ideas in people's brains about the true story. It's kind of like, I mean, Hacksaw Ridge, right? That whole scene of the court-martial, and he never was court-martialed. So people that only saw the movie think, oh, he was court-martialed, what a guy. But that's not what happened. The same thing with this movie. It they people always they co- still quote it to me. Oh well, you're wrong. I've seen the movie, and that's not what happened. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, that's that's not a that's not a good argument. <laughs> um, yeah, and I've heard that one many times too
4: mean, Sergeant York didn't sit on top of a mountain and God talked to him through scripture and just fucking. <laughs> well, that's the difference between and,
0: the top people and the bottomland people. And,
4: you and, know? And, and and that's when my eyes woke up because that's when I woke up again from watching this movie because <laughs> I literally fell asleep again watching this movie because it was.
1: Yeah, you know, it's God tells him about how great America is, you know, and how yeah, how of course, well. eminent well.
2: domain. <laughs> We must yeah. go to the Philippines. No, I, the movie's great for a lot of the perspectives because you know when I when I wrote the book, I have a whole chapter dedicated to the movie, and there's a uh, I used a lot of the archives from Warner Brothers, and there's another book, Michael Birdwell, who just passed away. His book, Celluloid Soldiers, has got a couple chapters on it, and the reality is they made up most of these religious scenes at the beginning just to kind of make him less of a radical Christian they wanted to temper some of his religious views, which is why you have these scenes. Uh, so there, a lot of the scenes are even made up to that, try to that, make America. So he, he, was, he was more was more religious wait, wait. radical? So so that, that, yeah. that
4: tampers him down? Because that yes. tampers no, movie, him up, Jesus in my view. No, no,
2: no. The movie is tampered down, and that is a fact. I mean, the, the screenwriters even write about this in their letters to each other. They tampered <laughs> down... His religion. Okay. But let's right? talk a little bit about that because I don't think we talked about that before. Yeah, like, No, really we didn't. No. So, that's yeah. So, yeah, if you would
3: care to uh, elucidate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure.
2: Uh, no, the the movie uh, originally, when it was going to be made, when they finally convinced York to do it, uh, he wanted it to be more about his life and not the war. He didn't want to right. make it more about the war. And Obvious. they kept pushing him and pushing him and they, they finally convinced him that we need to talk about the war in the middle point but he wanted it to be about his religious uh conversion and his bible school and the work after the war Mm -hmm. right but that's boring to people so he finally gets convinced to do it but i mean you gotta remember he's very religious to the point of ad nauseum i mean he's annoyingly religious (laughs) and they 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 have to temper it when doing so because uh they kind of leave out little at least two, I know for sure, almost three, but positively twice, he tried to get out of the draft for being a conscientious objector. Yeah. Right? It wasn't just one. He he got the report. They said no, and he resubmitted it. <laughs> right in the film. In the film, it's one to time. Center. Yeah. It's one. Yeah. yeah. No, he kept trying to get out of yeah. it. Yeah. Um. And then the idea of him talking with Buxton and getting a leave home. No, that never happened. That was made up. Uh for the movie and his discussion with Buxton about his religion that was made up to temper his views. They tried to make it well. Oh, he's just, you know, kind of a misinterpretation. He's a country bumpkin and he doesn't really understand the greater context, but that never happened. That conversation never happened. (laughs) He was just set in his ways. And there's even discussion by some of the men that like he annoyed the shit out of them. Uh, His, his religion, religiosity and uh, constant, basically not wanting to be there, just really annoyed him. So, yeah, the movie is (laughs) actually... They actually tempered it way down. So, Um, when
3: when when you're talking about, like, he didn't want to be there, like... From your research, how strong was that feeling with him?
2: I mean, pretty... Like I said, he got... He tried to get out of it. They said no. He tried to get out of it again. They said no. So, obviously strong enough to uh, push it. But since we can pause and do whatever let me grab michael birdwell's book and i'll find the exact sentence yeah pause i I might actually yeah i i did bookmark some of it for this conversation so last is that celluloid soldiers you're talking about yeah yeah this is celluloid soldiers i'll I'll look into that and birdwell 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 was uh the curator for the alvin york papers so like Hmm. if there's anyone in this world that's an expert on alvin york it was michael birdwell uh, but he died of cancer earlier this year. Um, but I think he wrote a book on New York, and it's supposed to be published. But I haven't. I don't know the details. I know it's in here. Like I said, I took lots of notes. Yeah, take your time, man. To put hilarious. my thing. Like I, I like to
0: there. put the thing and put it on my eye, and <laughs> like to
4: to the like, That gives I, me balance.
0: It gives me <laughs> oh, balance. So, but, but from what you're saying, James, though, is that in reality he was more like the sniper character in Saving Private Ryan. With the religious shit yeah. than he was like, mm-hmm. you know, out of it, how that Harry's portrayed, which is interesting. <laughs> so instead of gobbling who should have been just like, Hail Mary, full of grace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much.
5: This one is <laughs> Ezekiel. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Ezekiel. <laughs> well, hey,
0: fucking unfortunately Coolio died. That's gonna date this. But uh so you know, Amish fucking uh paradises, you know, and everybody's <laughs> <laughs> okay
4: wait hold on hold on wait 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 so i want to dive into our conversation earlier today you said you wrote amish and paradise were you being oh, absolutely totally, serious sean didn't know the to fuck me
0: we're talking about so
4: okay so you said amish paradise is yeah, a because par- so sean yeah. didn't understand yeah. okay okay i was gonna say because if you actually thought he wrote amish paradise and not no Gays I Paradise, that, i was Nate. going to have a i'm cultured meltdown. in
0: like you know r&b and that sean is not so <laughs> right yeah well, I, don't know Sean's, I, think, Sean's I think Gangsta's Paradise
2: that. won a Grammy. Yeah, it did. It won, yeah, it it did, won something, yeah. didn't I it? didn't know yeah. about the Keenan yeah. and Kel like thing, though.
4: You didn't know about no. Keenan and Kel? You didn't know the whole theme
0: song for no. that? I saw one, great, <laughs> I I saw one yeah. great thing about it, though, and they were like, people don't understand how great Kulu is. He made the, the most epic gangster rap ever without swearing or cussing, and no yep. guns, no nothing. Yep. Like, this generation of rappers has nothing on him. Like, right. you know, it's very interesting.
4: Yeah, M- Mikey, if you look up Keenan and Kel's theme song, he's the guy in the middle doing everything on that. Jesus Christ, I used
1: to watch Keenan and Kel. <laughs> so
2: I remember watching him, I remember the theme song.
0: Ke- Keenan and Kel was great. Like, oh, yeah. Like, okay. yeah. I'm so glad. I found that, it. Uh, I found it so far. So,
2: if we want to, you want to start from here?
4: Yeah, yeah. go ahead. I yeah. So magic.
2: Don't worry. Just talk. I mean, York's religious experience in the movie was changed quite a bit because they were afraid he was going to be too... Uh, religiously fanatic. So, in this, like I said, Michael uh, Birdwell's book, he says that they had to handle it carefully, um, not only the death of, you know, his friend or the death of his enemy and his conversion to Christianity, um, because, you know, for him, York made the mistake of saying once in an interview that when he converted, it was like being struck by lightning. So, they they first had that into the script, but they started changing it. Um, York hated it. Uh, he wanted you know, more things to be uh, showing his conversion. But York's religion posed other problems. Um, even though press releases informed the public that prophets from the picture were earmarked for the creation of his Bible school, the religious issue would not abate because York constantly invoked God's name and assured everyone that the movie would be a testament to Christian values. And he argued that faith was essential to his story, uh, but the PCA forbade the use of God's name in motion pictures. So, uh, even the screenwriters informed Jesse Lasky, the producer, that we recognize that if York's religious attitude, real religious attitude is included in the picture, there is great danger of his appearing to be merely a religious fanatic and thus lose heavily in audience understanding and sympathy. So now the screenwriters had to change it so he wasn't so religious. Uh, and so, as, as Michael Bardwell says... To solve this dilemma, they opted for a balance between godliness and patriotism as a representation of true Americanism. So we, they realized this should not be a war picture, but that they really need to play up the war angle in light of what's going on in Europe in order to not focus so much on R- York's religion. And so two of the major things that they added into the movie, um, made two major alterations in the script, they invented that scene on the rifle range where he proves his prowess as a marksman and they made up the scene where Major Buxton presents York with an American history textbook to help him decide whether or not to fight. Although this scene never happened in real life, it significantly tempered the perception of York as a religious fanatic. So, that whole part of it you know, written in black and white here from the best historian on Alvin York, that they tempered it to so, make him not so religious.
1: Let me get this straight. All of this basically can be compressed into
2: this is propaganda. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, technically this movie, uh, when it came out, was uh, pushed by the U.S. Senate for being propaganda. So they pulled it after a month. There was a, a hearing about it and Warner Brothers trying to produce propaganda. And then... Pearl Harbor happened, and so the obviously the court case <laughs> fell through, and then right, released it the next year. Weird, yeah, of course, weird, yeah. weird. Yeah. So, so uh, religion is hard, but this movie is technically not as bad as he was.
0: It's it's interesting that you bring this up because it sounds like they chose like you know a character that people knew from the First World War, like oh it's Sergeant York, that guy that won the Medal of Honor. Mm-hmm. But he was a very problematic individual, and they really had to like you know make this guy that's kind of famous like fit into this mold. Because we're looking at it, you know, post 41, post the movie. But in that mm-hmm. period from 1919, you know, to say to 2041, you know, 22 years, he's just this kind of obscure guy. Hey, he won that medal. So it's interesting how they had yeah. to be like, they were talking to each other saying we have to fucking make this guy marketable,
2: <laughs> you know, like, well, he also yeah. had this issue with interventionism, too, hmm. where he did. He thought that we shouldn't get into the war. Oh, and then Jesse Lasky. Yeah. And then they basically convinced him that we should join the war. And then he becomes a spokesperson for joining the war, but he had interventionist ideas. So even at that moment, he's a figure in the public saying we shouldn't go to war. Kind of like Lindbergh. Yeah. Yeah. I I can't remember
4: what we talked about last time in certain specific detail, but did they ever take this film and then push it for then war drive afterwards? No. So yes, yes,
2: they did. So once the war starts, they, they no longer have to play the game. Like, Oh, we're not a war movie. We're just making a true film. And actually, they went so far as to after the movie, the U.S. Army recruited in the movie theaters. So when you left, the U.S. Army gave out packets. Of, That's right, I like, remember we talked yeah, about. Yeah, they, they gave yeah, out yeah, yeah, information yeah. packets about the Army in these like Alvin York souvenir folders. So the movie was used for pure propaganda. <laughs> I think it won an Oscar, yeah. too,
1: didn't it? Or something? Or in-
0: it did.
2: Oh, yeah. Gary Cooper did. He won for Best Actor.
1: Uh, so uh, we're talking about, uh, you know, we're, we're I'm glad how we're kind of like at first before we get into the battle stuff, we're kind of just covering the actual York compared to how he is in the movie. And uh, James, one thing that's, you know, and, and all you guys obviously probably notice this too, is that the character of York in the film is like this, you know, mountain man with this uh, like Appalachian accent and everyone in there is like that. I have to ask, uh, was the real York
2: anything like that? No, you can go get on YouTube and watch videos of Alvin York speaking. Like for a man who didn't really have a formal education, he did not sound like a country bumpkin. I mean, he had an accent, right? But like, and by the 40s, he's practiced enough that you, when you go watch the videos, I mean, he sounds nothing like someone that comes out of you know the Appalachian Mountains. But that was actually made up when his book came out in 28. Uh, Thomas Scahill added in that whole... A mountain dialect and really over overstated it but no that is not how york actually sounded uh so even that's part of the myth yeah that, you know I, uh, all, all entails it
1: i um I, I actually just not too long ago i was looking up uh, you can find like uh bloopers and stuff like that from movies way way back in like the 30s and 40s on youtube and i was watching one of movies from the 40s and all of a sudden one of Sergeant York popped in there and it's Gary Cooper and he's doing the scene where he has like mm-hmm. a plow and he's talking to that guy and he just keeps flubbing up his line. Then finally he just goes, this goddamn accent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so, no, and it never existed. It just so, it's
2: such a weird thing to add. Right.
1: But it's just funny that, yeah, like clearly that wasn't his choice, Gary Cooper. That was like something that's like, no, York must sound this way in the movie. So that's just
2: Yeah, weird. no, it's... Well, and part of the people that always argue for this movie, you know, well, York was on set and... He really, you know, geared the movie to where he wanted it. That's not true at all. In fact, he did have full control over it. He could veto it after the whole thing was done. But he didn't like being there, so he was never on set. York was never there, so he had no say in how the movie was made. Uh, despite some people claiming that you know he was there on the scene and he cried, or no, he wasn't there. So it's just the uh, the Warner Brothers screenwriters using. Uh, various sources that they, they thought were the best. So basically they used Tom Scahill's book as a source.
1: Mm, okay. Yeah.
2: So yeah. Mo- and that's where the accent comes from. That's where a lot of the conversion and the battle stuff comes from. It all comes from Thomas Scahill's 1928 book, um, which that in itself was supposed to be using Alvin York's diary, but he just conveniently cut out all the, uh, conscientious objecting stuff and then all the times Alvin York lies uh, or is wrong about his own history because he wrote it later so it, it all is just uh, you know BS built on BS built on BS and then put on the silver screen
1: well it's a it's a very uh, it's a very obvious movie of its time you know it's uh, uh, not a lot of uh, you know not a lot of um, subtleness to it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no not at all that not 30s. at all but it, it
2: I mean, it is what it is, but, and I think we all agree that a lot of it—it's a boring movie until you get to the battle stuff, which I mean, we, should, we just, should get, get into of the battle stuff. It.
3: We should we should get into the battle <laughs> yeah. stuff
2: because, well, before you get into it, you got to mention your favorite character since he shows up in the the training, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. just, right. just as right. important, yeah. Pusha, right? The, the push, all, yeah, oh um, yeah, all Pusher being put in,
1: yeah. So pu- Pusher, uh, apparently, you told me that. Uh, Pusher was created so Alvin York didn't look so stupid.
2: Let me quote Michael Birdwell, right? okay. an expert on Alvin York. Okay. Pusher depicted a non-existent relationship between York and his former army comrades. Um, that uh, Let me see. Oh, York had alienated himself from many of the men in his battalion because of his attempt at conscientious objection and his religious beliefs. Then, when they had to make the movie, they had to say, well we don't want this man to look like an idiot. So they added pusher in for that purely for that scene about the stupid sub uh, subway where he's like, Oh, I've never been on a subway before. Mm. They added pusher in so that he didn't sound like an idiot. That's the only reason he's there.
1: So, so, yeah, it's basically take, a, like, a New York caricature and make him dumber than York or sound dumber. And you
2: put him in there, and he's the one who tells York about the subway. Because when he comes back, he's in New York City, and they're like, what do you want to do? And he's like, I've never been on a subway. And they're <laughs> like, you were an idiot. What, what were you, from the hills of Tennessee? You know. But yes. that's why Pusher gets invented. And the same thing with, like, they have Bernard Early as his drill sergeant who hates him for being so religious. But that never happened either. Right? Early was never a drill sergeant. He was never even a sergeant, so uh, they just add in stuff. Also, just sergeant didn't exist then, but hey. Yeah. Well, and that's (laughs) none of these things are added to the story. They're just designed to make York like this sympathetic hillbilly, and and we should feel bad. While we're on it, wasn't York never a sergeant
0: as well? He was a corporal during the whole action. No, well,
2: no, no, no. He he was never a corporal. Uh, (laughs) He was later promoted to sergeant. But everyone calls him Corporal York or the newly appointed corporal. He was never a corporal. He was a private first class. He was just an acting corporal for a little bit. And so I don't know where people got that stupid. I mean, it was Mastriano. It was in the book. Uh, The newly appointed corporal. He was never a corporal. Ever. It's in his file. And even after the war, the war department put out a memo that said, any mention to the name Corporal York is erroneous. (laughs) Remove it. (laughs) <laughs> all right so even the war department had to come in and say no he was never a corporal yet it still exists to this day
1: <laughs> wow Funny. but uh that is uh that is an interesting part though when the uh when the actual like training happens and then we start to kind of see world war world war one seeping into everything and then the, the uh the him basically having to be converted by his i don't know converted but like convinced by his who is it that he's like his captain or something like that? Buxton. Buxton's the one yeah. they
2: make up. And okay. I mean Buxton's great. He's a, as far as a person, I mean he was the unit historian, but he they add in <laughs> that scene with Buxton. It's so stupid. How do I clean all this off
4: how do I <laughs> clean off the Springfield and it's only too much on it?
2: <laughs> so you do a better you do a better
1: pusher than I do. So, yeah. I, if you, I doubt it. <laughs> if you really think
2: about it, like think of just the idea of like, why would York be such an important soldier out of the entire division that they go through all this effort to keep him? Yeah, like, that's so <laughs> stupid. That's a good you point. Know? Why? Why do they give a fuck if he's like? yeah. You know,
1: yeah like, well, let, let's pull Alvin York aside. Let me tell you about this here United States. Son. Yeah, let's make you sure know?
2: he can go home. Not everybody else, but he can go home fast yeah. track and then come back. <laughs> right there, he goes. There's the thumb.
1: Yeah. It
2: get me it get me <laughs> <laughs> Oh my eye! Oh my oh my boy. eye! Oh, you hit me on my eye! Oh my <laughs> god! It's, it's all stupid, and I love the fact that they're really bad at even like getting the eighty second because the eighty second is made up of this conglomeration of troops, and there's a ton of immigrants. That's in the that crazy unit. thing. Even the well, it was also like even the eighty second like, was,
3: as as you know, James, like the eighty second is made up of all the. Shitbags that no other all unit American. wanted.
2: <laughs> well, you know it's draftees because yeah. originally the 82nd was going to be in the South, and they are na- they originally created it out of Georgia. Yep. And then they took all the men, all the enlisted men, or all the draftees, and filled as replacements, which left a bunch of officers that are from the South. And then they Dip- pulled ships. in troops from the Northeast. Yep. And then they pulled in from yep. the Midwest. Oh, we're the all American. It, oh, Why you say we're all oh, American? Yep. But the issue, like with Early. Right, Bernard Early, he's an Irish immigrant. Like he immigrated to the United States just not even a decade before the war. And yet there's no he's there's no accent. There's no attempt to call this. Yeah, and even his unit. Yeah, well, and even with the unit, right? The the so the seventeen men, the other sixteen, I mean, three of them are Italian, three of them are Polish. No, three are Irish, three are Polish, and two are Italian. And I mean immigrants, like they immigrated yeah, from those countries. They're Earth. gen zero they born in the yeah. US. They barely you know, they know English, but like not well. hmm And most of the people in the eighty second couldn't speak English, and that's nowhere in the movie. I mean, God forbid we show immigrants being just as good as right, Alvin York. Right. But you know, they leave that Th- part That would have too. helped in
3: the Second World War because that, that shouldn't didn't happen then either, right? You know? hmm
2: Weird. But it's like, you know, they could have at least done it, because most of these yeah. guys are learning Camp Gordon had an English school. So that the troops could learn English. <laughs> yeah, but if, if,
3: wow. if it's done by the military, especially the army, it's not going to be good.
2: Eh, well, you know, some English is better <laughs> it's than like the two At least you first know how to follow adult. orders.
3: <laughs> uh, it's just, yeah. But, but like, no, that, that, that's something that, like, um, you know, especially the First World War that people just kind of gloss over is, uh-huh. dude, you've got literal, not even first gen, you've got Gen Zero immigrants that were from whatever country they came from. That put on a fucking uniform and were trying to speak English and trying to fight for the US mm-hmm. in the First World War. And it's like, that's it's uh, so really quick, and then it will come back very quick, I promise. The Lost Battalion, that AE show from right. the early 2000s, they tried to show that, but they didn't get it right. They had guys with New York accents, they had the one guy with the Polish accent, blah, blah. blah. But it's like, right. no, in World War One, like, especially with the 80s, like, a lot of the, um, the um um American Army, or uh um uh, I'm sorry the U.S. Oh, uh, what the fuck was the name? They they had a different term for the uh, drafty divisions, which the 82nd was one of them. Uh oh yeah, National Army. National Army. National Army. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. So, so um so the National Army troops, a lot of them were immigrants. I mean a lot. Yeah. And it's not just the 82nd. It's like the, the fucking uh, other divisions that are around that. And you had a lot of National Guard divisions that were made from guys that were here for one or two or three generations, blah, blah, blah. They were, quote, unquote, Americans, you know. And then you get into the the draft, right, the National Army guys. And the 82nd was a perfect example of a division that was made up of all these draftees from all over the fucking U.S. Mostly, Mm -hmm. like you just said, the Northeast – you know, because it's like, you got a lot of immigrants coming in here? Okay. Kind of like in the Civil War. Hey, you want to be an American? Go fight for your country. You know, kind of like that mentality. It wasn't like exactly like that. But like, you yeah. know what I'm saying? It's like, and so yeah. the 82nd was like made up of guys from all the fuck over. And that's why, yeah, the All-American.
2: <laughs> yeah. And you get them all, but they, they don't get the representation of it. Which actually, when the when I when my book passed through the publisher... That was one of the responses was this is a moment to like actually talk about the fact that these men are not, you know, quote unquote Americans. These are immigrants that have been marginalized in the story. Yeah, yeah. All these years and left out. But I mean, that you gotta think the officers above York, they were Irish, you know? right. uh, you've got all these men that, that that just immigrated and they're on top, which is really counter to uh York. I mean, York's their position, and it's on all the history books about kind of they're the last bastion of pure Americanism because they're like their accents closer to the British accents from the original settlers. And there's, there's this big discussion on race and racism with like Alvin York and those people that come out of that area. And so to have a unit made up of all these immigrants and, and a period of like extreme nativism in the country, it's remarkable that one, I mean, it makes sense. They didn't include it, but like there's a lot of dynamics happening in that unit that never get oh,
3: Yeah, right. And that's the thing is like, so really quick before we get into the combat part of mm-hmm. it about the movie and everything, um,
2: do you think if that film was made today that it could be portrayed better? I think they could. I mean, if that one, if that movie had to be made today, it should not be called Sergeant York. Right, right, right. But, but, yeah, uh, but if it was made today, that story. I yeah. mean, they would I mean, definitely probably, PFC bring York, in right? actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. PFC York. Uh, they would they would have to you know account for the fact that these men are Italian. Hell, there's one guy who was Native American mm-hmm. in the unit, uh, and he was the first of his tribe to be killed in the war because he was one of the six killed during that fight. Yep. Um, but it's like these men never get, and even in the movie, early is the only one they mention his name. And there's one scene after they capture the prisoners where he says, "Uh, cutting, Kornacki." and uh whoever the other name was he says they're three men he says their last names that's it that is the entirety yeah. of re- acknowledging yeah. that there were other men in that patrol that that's right? a
3: good point yes exactly and, so and,
2: i i think they should and honestly i mean they should make a book out of my movie it'd make a great one you, you, but you, you, i make would make a movie out your nudge, book. nudge yeah, <laughs> wink, make wink, a movie nudge yeah nudge nudge
4: make a movie wink wink nudge nudge but, uh, but i think
2: yeah. you know it's all just built on it and that that uh the, the the basic training scene sets that up with not only a bunch of BS, your your stupid pusher character, yeah uh early being this hateful York you idiot, you conscientious objector, go dig yeah, a ditch. Right, right, uh, right. But you also it sets up York as like, I'm the master marksman and he you know, that whole he's at the shooting range and he hits the bullseye over and over and he keeps licking his stupid sight, right? <laughs> And it's like, oh, York's the greatest, and then he goes back to the barracks, and all the guys are like, oh, tell us how you did that, and he's like, well, I used to hunt turkeys, and then the turkeys come around, and I shoot them back. You the hunt front. turkeys
3: with a rifle too, like that's that's how yeah. you do it.
2: And yeah, it, it's they add <laughs> those scenes in; those are made up oh, to, for uh, yeah. later. Yep. But they, in doing that, they leave out the fact that like Alvin York was not the marksman of the unit, and in fact, like uh, Percy Beardsley he grew grown up in the woods, and he was a very, a, a very good right? marksman. Yeah, he was from Roxbury, yeah, Connecticut. He grew me. up on a farm, and he he was a great marksman. And so this idea that like because York grew up in the woods, he's better <laughs> right. than everybody else, yeah. it makes no sense. Because he wasn't the only one. Right? Well, I mean, sure, yeah. most of these guys come from, like, small towns or the New York City, so they probably never held a gun well, what before. What do you mean? Pusher was a
0: dead-eye dick on his fucking, you know, uh, subway, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: It's like course. Think, think no, that, of all the so,
0: fucking... He shot Capone when he was in the city. No.
2: <laughs> yeah, of course, you know? You, <laughs> so you throw all these things together, it. you just... It, you create that myth that, like, oh, Alvin York is definitely the best because he's a marksman. And it's, it's fair. I mean, like, I don't know, I grew up In southern Oklahoma, in the woods, hunting all my life, and my younger brother, when he joined the Air Force, he scored absolutely perfect on his qualifications. That's because we grew up shooting guns. I'm not going to make that joke. Doesn't matter. I'm not going
3: to make that joke on here. (laughs) But the Air Force, it happens.
2: That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. But the fact that it was like expert, no, he missed no shots. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Right. Yep. But it's like. And you can credit that to, sure, he had longer, you know, experience with shooting rifles than most of the other guys in his unit. But it doesn't automatically mean he's the greatest. No, because, right? like. the whole point of training is to make you a good shot. Right, and
3: I think, I think we did this on the last one that I fucked up. But, like, um, when I was in basic, like, there was five guys in my platoon that got expert, myself included. And three of those guys are from cities and never held a gun before. Okay? Right that does not mean that you're an expert marksman just because you've hunted and you've done all this shit your entire life. It's like, I had experience, so I I got the flow and the AR was like, wow, this has no recoil compared to a rifle rifle, like Mm -hmm. a, you know, like a Remington 700 or some shit. And I'm like, oh, this is fucking fun. And then, but the three guys or something like that, they're from the cities. And I'm like, yeah, so that does not a marksman make your experience, you know? Shooting military rifles because, like, again, you might you might have been good on a shotgun, you know, hunting game to, to, to get your family fed. I get that. A rifle is a completely different
2: fucking weapon. And well, and if you notice, they always show York like firing fl- uh, flintlock. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like so you're telling us that somehow his flintlock capabilities <laughs> are translating perfectly well. Something, Dude, yeah. Spring, yeah. The only thing that could so translate
3: like, from that is not flinching when you actually squeeze the trigger. True. I was
4: gonna say that that'd be the only thing. That that's could be, it. And it would have to be. It would have to be. You know,
1: maybe a flintlock would be a prime example of that. But that. So, but that's uh, it. Yeah. One one thing in there is the fucking the stupid uh, lick, well, wet in the sights. The front sight.
2: Wet in the sights. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, doesn't a uh, flintlock? Don't they not have front sights?
2: No, they did <laughs> do. They might have a bead. Okay, okay. Yeah,
4: percussion, 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 and flintlock have a bead, I believe. Uh, yeah. Some I of, percussion some of them have that, blades Depending, too. depending on, yeah, depending on the model. It's it called the, the barleycorn sight or something.
0: Which, traditional term. Yeah, I
4: okay. think if I remember correctly, a percussion uh, rifle normally has a, a blade or a, or a fin. Okay. Even even a
3: lot of flintlocks, finlock. like Kentucky or uh, Pennsylvania long rifles, they would have a blade on the front, and they'd have a rear sight. Okay. Um, but that, I mean, that's again. A lot Still of Still doesn't money. translate. To no, it's a the lot cable. of Still money. Still doesn't too. translate like, well. Yeah, I mean, yeah.
4: I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, like, I, I don't, like, I get it. I, I don't understand. Yeah,
3: no, and so for him, time. also, also, here's here's a little little tiny detail that we'll go into really quick before we get into the, uh, comment part of it is. The the 1917 rifle, has aperture sights. Okay, it's a very long fucking um um. You mean axis. they didn't use
0: O 3s like in the movie? <laughs> We're no. not talking
3: about the 0 3 The 82nd, well, yeah, Brian knows that. It's sarcastic. Um,
0: but <laughs> do our does our audience. But no, that
3: so the 82nd was equipped with 1917 rifles.
4: I'm going to clean all the godmoin off my dwight. That fucking radius,
3: that sight radius, is very long. But if you're used to looking Well, through... only for a bit.
2: Only for a bit, if we're being fair. What? Because they were with the British for the first dweifles. half. So they were learning British rifles. Yeah, but they got and their then they switched 17s the to the 1917 service rifles. Yeah, then yeah, they got them back after. So it's like,
3: yeah, learning V-notch, which I'm sure York probably did great on the V-notch because that's what he's probably familiar with. and then But the, the, site, the 1917 has got an aperture sight on it. And it's like this guy just picking up this new kind of sight that he's never probably used in his life <laughs> and just being a fucking ace with it. I mean, what yeah. are we doing here? It's
0: like it picked up <laughs> a fucking, fair. you know, whatever the Glock was that had a crazy, like, you know, Caseless ammunition, or whatever. I might be getting it wrong from the '80s or something. It's like, oh, you go from like you know 1700s to now.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's and like, you yeah, know you, how to do it. Yeah, you should great. be an ace. Orson buggy mm-hmm. to a
2: Ford Mustang. Yeah, that's great. Right. And then <laughs> well, wet the I mean, front it does, side. It, if you wet the front side, you it helps in the mud. You know, when you're in the zone, <laughs> oh, like totally the movie can. depicts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Mersar Argonne Forest has somehow been completely deforested, yeah, and yeah, is it now looks, the it zone. Looks
1: like it looks like Verdun, yeah. The backlot
2: of Warner <laughs> Brothers. Very <laughs> shiny so we can yeah. see it. Yeah. Um. Anyway. But it does lead us into it. I mean, just the, the fact that they finally put him on the front lines. And, yep. you know. And, and there are actually accounts of, like, York people in the u- unit hating him. In fact, some of the men in the 40s write a letter being like, We fucking hated him. He was a coward. And there was one, they, they claimed there was this one instance where York was like, I don't want to be here, I want to go home. And they threatened to shoot him if he didn't shut the hell up. Wow. All right? And now that could have just been made up See, later, but, you know, who knows? Right, right.
4: Take, this, take trying to knock down the glory boy. If yeah, that so take it with a grain of
2: yeah. salt. But there was yeah. evidence that the men in the unit didn't like him so you're because of his religiosity.
1: You're saying that an accurate remake of this would be called Everybody Hates York. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like hacksaw
0: ridge, yeah. but yeah. less
3: bullshit. <laughs> right, yeah. Deborah, yes.
0: Deborah, ma. Exactly. And right. so
3: from your from your research, James, um, I know you get the extremes of like he was a fucking religious zealot, and then you know people hated mm-hmm. him. And all that. Realistically, would he just be one of those guys that's just like doing the bare fucking
2: minimum because he doesn't want to be there, but still does I it? I mean, it's the only way to ever really because you got to think. I mean, these guys were in combat before, which the movie skips. I mean, they were a part of the Sami Hell Offensive. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. these guys had experience in combat. Uh, they had, a, so they've they've already become experienced. And so by the time we get to the Merzargon, you know, I'm sure that things have changed out a bit. Uh, my research, unfortunately, there's no way to say it. There's no one like keeping yeah, a diary. Of course, like, York was an idiot today, but uh, you also have to remember that York did have a past, and he was a bit of a hellraiser, mm-hmm. and he was a it was a violent past. And so, when the battle actually happens, the you know the the stuff that, you know you're putting a gun to the back of a German's head and tell them to go or I'm going to blow your brains out. Absolutely, I believe that happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he did have a violent past. Well, also, and pe- also people, moment, even if they
3: don't have a violent past, people are capable of doing that. True. All right. So I and I think yeah. he
2: did. I mean, he did his job in the moment. That is not that can't be argued. No, he did his job right. when it counted. Now, anything before. I can't speak to because I, I just know some of these accounts. And again, you right. have to take it with a grain of salt, but there is the reality of his personality after the war does, you know, reflect a bit on how he would have been during the war. He wanted to get out. He was a conscientious objector. Well, I get that. Yeah. And yeah. He's drafted in. So, you know, those things are up to, up to debate, but I mean, he, and in the end he did his job when he needed to. That's okay. So here's
3: the thing is that's what we're going to pre- preface this with. Because people are listening, they're going to be like, or oh, you're just hating on him, whatever. Blah, blah. No, he did his fucking job. He was there. That's the thing. There were 17 Yeah, what well, I've always there. argued
2: yep. with my book with people. It's like, the other 16 would not have made it out of that ravine without York. Correct. But... York would not have made it out of that ravine if it weren't for the other men. That's how it, that's there, there how it is goes. No
3: that's how it goes. Single-handed yeah.
2: bullshit where like York defeated the German army by himself right. and everyone else was pissing in the bushes. Right. No, that didn't happen. No, no, no. It, it right. was the a collaborative actual... effort, and then that's exactly that's how
3: the infantry works.
2: It always has yeah. worked, and that's how it does work Wait, today. You mean York Patrol doesn't mean just York? There's other people there? Yeah, what? exactly. <laughs> and that's the, I hate that fucking name. Like James Nelson's book the York Patrol. He wasn't even in fucking charge. Wow. Where Early was, it should be called the Early Patrol. If anything, that's a
1: worse name than Sergeant York.
2: Yeah, the York Patrol. No, it was Sergeant Early. He was in charge of the patrol. It should be the Early Patrol, right? But let's you know, it's early it is in the morning, is. right? Well, <laughs> well that too. I was going
4: to make that joke. Fuck you. Fuck
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you know, it, if we look at the movie, you beat me too. Right, what mm-hmm.
2: happens? York and the men are at the Somme. Apparently, there's giant. Uh, holes, the trees are all gone. It's muddy. Uh, and the Germans right, are entrenched right. on the hills. And they, they push forward. And then, you know, we need to go this way early. Take a group. And he takes his men. And then somehow they run into a trench, which there were no trench networks in the Argonne. I mean, this was, a, this was the back end. No, there was the no time. The, the t- trench t- networks the that were there, the quote-unquote trench, yeah. were like three feet deep. They were hasty. Yeah, trenches. yeah, and well, and yeah. even in the book, if you read the books on Alvin York, he says we went into a trench. When well, reality, what they went into was an irrigation ditch. Yeah, that was yep. there from the Middle Ages, right? <laughs> so they they in the Some movie fucking they, they enter was this planning
0: ahead, you know.
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> and that's the thing that actually where they were in the Middle Ages, there was a monastery nearby mm-hmm. near Chatel Cherie, and so the ravine they went into used to be the like water source. There was a dam there. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. But on the way in. On the way in, then the movie, they're in a German trench, and all of a sudden they run into this line of Germans and then yep. hand-to-hand combat <laughs> in this trench. Yep. <laughs> they're beating these Germans with shovels and everything, and then they kill all the Germans and they keep moving. Of course, that yeah. never happened. It's, there was turns none of that. Into, it
1: turns into all quiet on the Western Front. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, that never happened. And then they move on and they get to that ravine. And they just they come and which is weird. They come over a hill. And they ru- see all the Germans, right? And then they open fire on the Germans. And that's how the movie shows it. But, you know, they're in a forest. Well, what actually, what actually happened? Like, like
3: walk it. us through, walk the listeners through what actually okay. happened. Yeah. So if they we're walking through what them.
2: actually happened, right? The morning of October 8th, it is foggy. It's it's rained. And yep. the men of the 328th Regiment, 82nd Division, are about to move in or attack the German lines. And they're coming out of Chateau Cherie and after advancing a little bit, they're, they're, they are inundated with machine gun fire from several flanks. Their commanding officer, Kirby Stewart, he gets killed and it passes to Sergeant Harry Parsons. And he's like, well, I don't know what to do, so let's send a suicide mission. And he declares that Early should take a patrol and try to outflank these machine guns. So Early gets assigned uh, seven or 16 other men, with York included, And the way this thing really goes, you've got acting Sergeant Early, and then you've got acting uh, Corporal uh, William Cutting, which is how he is in the movie and in the books, but his real name is Otis Merrithew. So you have acting Corporal Otis Merrithew and leading his group. You have Corporal Murray Savage leading his group. And then you have acting Corporal Alvin York leading a show show squad, right? So Alvin York has uh, three, four, no, three men with him. And two of them are ammunition bearers. And then you have Percy Beardsley carrying a show show automatic rifle. Right. And so Bernie early takes them in. They go south. They manage to get through the woods quietly using the fog as cover. They come around the hill and they get to a creek and they see two Germans at the creek and they chase them. And the Germans retreat and run back. And the Americans end up running upon a German unit who had just arrived and are eating breakfast, basically. They line up, and they open fire. And in opening fire, the Germans, you know, surrender, they kill a few, and they capture them. Capture about 80 or so. Line them up, start taking their weapons away, getting them ready to go, and as Early's about to say, all right, let's get out of here, some Bavarian sappers further up the slope notice them, and open fire. There were no 35 machine guns. There were no machine guns spinning around from the top of the hill. Right. There was just a squad of Bavarian sappers who were on their way to reinforce a unit, saw them, lined up, open fire. And in doing so, the German prisoners all dropped to the ground. Six of the Americans are killed fairly quickly. Uh, Bernie Early is shot like three or four times, and he goes down. And he passes control of the unit to Otis Marithew and says, you know, Marithew take over Marithew fires. He gets shot in the left arm, pulls out his revolver and continues to fight. York is farthest to the right because they had a show show. So they were ordered by early to like get to a better position to watch the prisoners. And so York is in the most advantageous position because he's closer to the bottom of the slope. And so they can't really see him. So he's behind a tree just beside him is uh, Percy Beardsley with a show show firing an automatic rifle. And there's uh, 15, no, there's 16 men, six are killed. So there are 10 other men either watching the prisoners or fighting back. And in 15 minutes, this battle's over. The uh, officer they captured at the beginning convinces the sappers on the hill to surrender and they all get them together. And then Marithew, uh orders York to lead the column out of there. And then they take the Germans and on their way out, they capture a few more machine gun nests and then they go rejoin the Americans who have already advanced, right? Some of the stories say that York's actions helped save the day because it allowed them to advance. That's bullshit. The Americans had already advanced up to the point where they were in line with each other. So they get out of there and then York, uh, as they're leading the men back, Marithew, is wounded, who's now in charge. Bernie early is being carried on a stretcher by German prisoners. Uh, Mario Musi has been wounded. Uh, Patrick Donahue has been wounded. So they all get evacuated out. And then Alvin York just happens to be the last non-commissioned officer. Even albeit an acting one in charge. And so he gets credit for the capture of 132 Ah. Germans. Right. And that's what happens. It's no, as the movie, which we'll talk about now, the movie shows this man by himself captured kill knocking out like three machine guns and capturing all these Germans and everyone else just pissed their pants and hid. But the reality is you have 10 Americans engaged in a firefight in a tiny ravine outnumbered, right? Yeah. Almost damn near 10 to 1. Yep. Right? And yet they managed to capture all these men. But York York gets the credit in the end. And and that's the truth of what. And then
3: that's where it starts.
2: That's the start, yeah. Yep. And then of course everything builds on there, yeah. But I mean that's the true battle. So now if we take that and compare it to compare the it film, to the movie, yeah, it's <laughs> you get a totally different standard because once they make it in, yeah. yeah, once they make it into that ravine, of course there's no trees in sight. So it's not a forest. They make it it's into a, the yeah, the song, forest is right, gone right, again. Right, right. They yes. open fire and then you know. Shit goes down.
1: There is one moment that is kind of like what really happened. There's a part where they kind of, I I believe anyway, there's a part where they like take prisoners and then one of the Germans like says like, everyone get down and then machine guns open up on top. That kind of resembles the real thing in a way. Well, if
2: you fast forward like five seconds after that scene, right? York's firing his rifle, he starts. And if you look in the background, they've got some of the Americans firing back. Right. That is the only moment of close to reality, which is even funnier as a mistake from the filmmakers, because in that scene, you can see other American soldiers behind York firing their rifles. And then when they fast forward towards the end of the movie, where they do the investigation, they say, well, there are no other casings. So York must have been the only man firing his gun. And <laughs> <laughs> It's like they just showed the scene of Americans firing, and now they're completely countering this. So I don't know if that was a mistake on the filmmaker part, but Probably. that I mean that part even further creates that single handed myth of Alvin York. Yeah, absolutely. But please, I want to hear your your ideas on how the battle unfolds with the turkey gobbles and all.
0: <sighs> yeah, it's fascinating to hear the real story, and I know a- that it took you a long time to piece all that together i mean real research takes years you know and Uh, that i mean this book has been in four years four
2: years
0: (laughs) yeah yeah no
2: four years is how long mm -hmm. i've worked on it and even that battle just that chapter took at least uh six seven months to piece it together
0: Oh, I bet, you know, and it's just, you got to take just, all the hearsay out of it. And,
3: and
2: well, Jamie also yeah, has it. physical evidence, it. which really helps. Yeah, well, and that's yeah. the other well, thing well, is yeah. you've got, uh, you know, later down the road in the 2000s, you have two teams that claim to found it. You have <laughs> Douglas Mastriano, which his relic hunt should never be considered archaeology, who is basing his research <laughs> on Taylor Beattie and a picture of a tree he found in the 90s. <laughs> um, because they, you know, he's, he's special forces. And so the way they would have gone is this way. If you read the fucking history, it tells you how they went. And so another team led by Dr. Tom Nolan, they read the histories. They looked at the research. And the the key point between their two, Mastriano apparently believes that bodies just don't matter. And so he never (laughs) considers the grave registration (laughs) files. But Nolan's team did go look at the grave registration. Like, where are the bodies? If you find the bodies, you find the fight because they were buried where they fell. Yeah. And his team finds the body, they find evidence of the graves and it proves they were correct. So Mastriano's team puts them like way the hell up here, 800 meters in the wrong spot. But Dr. Tom Nolan's team goes and actually does real archeology. span They have archeologists. They, they GIS every piece of material they find. Mm-hmm. And when you lay it out on a map, it fits perfectly to the battle. The bodies, the, the evidence of like American artifacts fit Absolutely perfectly with the grave registration description of the grave. Yes. And and the the original photos later. Yeah. And the original photos match the terrain and the casings. Yep. They found a bunch of fired American 30-06 in that ravine. Which showed there's not just York. He's not running tree to tree the patriot style, you know, <laughs> shooting from every different tree with oh, his rifle, God. right? He didn't have there like 14 M17s.
0: M- he sat there the morning of in the fog. Yeah, yeah, and then, you
2: know, all the other men just reloaded them for it, him for yeah, him so he right. could you run mean, up. And you pick mean he up. didn't have his kids behind the other trees? And yeah, exactly. So, and one, so, so one story. thing James Actually, was I his was guardian said, angel. To keep I on know, brand I know, you've
3: already done this before, but like describe the 1917 the 45 slugs that you guys found and analyzed
2: right so and that's the other thing with uh you know the story is that Mark, York when he ran out of ammo pulled out his 45 and fired away at the Germans and when they did the excavations the that one there is this issue there is an issue with the 45 casings um in 1919 when they went back for the investigation there's evidence in the early stories and the archeology span that they had like a shooting contest with Alvin York. So there's just this massive pile of like 45 and nine millimeter casings. Uh, and then they found artifacts full of bullet holes. And I mean like 45 and nine millimeter next to each other, obviously showing there was a shooting contest. So those got mixed into the site, but at the 30-06 you can prove or each other's. But anyway, when they found the 45 casings, they found forty five here, which they kind of assumed was Alvin York because it was intermixed with thirty out 6 And then a little bit near him, they found more forty-five casings. And when they put them all together and they sent them, not only to the Tennessee Bureau of, Infra- uh, what is it, TBI, but it's like the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. Yeah. Um, They analyzed it, did forensics, and found that they came out of different guns. And then they sent it to Douglas Scott, the historian who's, famous for the little bighorn excavation to the forensics there. And when he tested them, he also confirmed that these casings came out of different guns and some of them came out of revolver, not a 1911. So it was, it's proof that York wasn't the only one. And then if you do the research, you'll find accounts that Percy Beardsley says, yeah, my show show ran out of ammo or it jammed. And so he pulled out his 45 and fired away alongside
3: York. to, To make it clear for our listeners,
2: Alvin York had a 1911. Mm-hmm. Percy Beardsley had a 1911. Oh, Percy Beardsley had a 1911. So there, so there were only four, five men that would have had a uh, sidearm. Yes, let, right? let's have Alvin that. York. Yep. Yeah. So you've got Alvin York, who was the squad leader yep. of the show show. Yep. You've got Percy Beardsley because show show gunners yep. carried a sidearm. You've got uh, Otis Merithew because he was a uh, acting platoon leader. Mm-hmm. You have Bernard Early because he's the commanding officer. Mm-hmm. And then you've got um, Murray Savage. So we've got five men who would have had sidearms. Murray Savage, dead. Bernie Early, severely wounded. So we mark those two out of it. That leaves us with three options. Well, we know that Alvin York had a 1911. And then I found a photo of Percy Beardsley after the war showing off his 1911 that he carried through the war. Mm-hmm. And you look at um, Otis Matthews' report, he says the word revolver. He doesn't say pistol. He says revolver. Mm-hmm. And when they did the archaeology, uh, when they did the forensics, several of them had no drag marks, which means it was fired out of a revolver because it wasn't ejected. So there's no mark yep. from the ejection. Yep. So the evidence even proved that Otis Merithew had a, a revolver. And so you put all that together. Alvin York was not the only 45 firing in that ravine that day. Right? So that myth goes out the door, too. So not only do you have... 30 out 6 casings found all over the site showing the locations of the different men mm-hmm. and proving they were in the fight they also find you know expended stripper clips that show they had to reload did, did they find then on Matthew's have...
3: Matthew's side did they find the half moon clips still attached to the uh, cases? so
2: they didn't find any half moon clips mm-hmm. um but again the the soil and the erosion. Uh, those yeah, things no, are so having tiny and trail a steel anyway.
3: and the brass erodes a lot slower than steel does. Yeah,
2: right. So the steel, a lot of it was gone. Yeah, okay, right. Okay. So even if they had, you know, but they did find some, um, you know, eight millimeter to prove there was a show show. They even found the remains of an empty show show magazine. Yes, to he prove. Was, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That Mary. Um, that he went through at least Merzell one did magazine. in fact. Yeah yeah that was and if it jammed or something but, so that was you know.
0: thing i wanted to comment because unfortunately due to a lot of myths you know the show show gets a bad rap the original show show in eight millimeter was amazing and it was really good the only real issue it had was uh me and james talked about this was that when you shot it a lot because it was basically designed off of a, a very early shotgun automatic action that i can really get into it but long story short there's two tubes and one is an mm-hmm. inner tube and one is an outer tube and Due to thermal dynamics and stuff, the inner tube eventually would get hot enough where it would expand and it would lock up. And on a shosho, it was probably about two hundred to three hundred rounds where this would happen. And guys would talk about these guns seizing. You'd set it against a tree, and like five minutes later, you hear clunk, and the gun would have cooled down enough where the bolt would slam home again. It's. A,
3: I'll explain. So, it to you, I'll explain, it, Brian, to the, to the listeners. The shosho has a reciprocating barrel that's surrounded by a shroud of very thin sheet metal uh, to cool it down and protect it. When that barrel expands, it also expands the shroud and then blah blah blah. It does not allow the barrel to reciprocate, and therefore the action does not cycle until it's cooled down.
2: In military yeah. terms. <laughs> right. Well, and even yeah, that, you know, but... that's a lot. No, yeah. I I just I want to make it sh- I make get sure mine out of the well, same go sure But not it right so way, much so. with this actual battle. Because if you think about it, they're not firing three hundred rounds, no, no, he's no. in a ravine. Well, wasn't there an actual boarding right? no. though? So,
0: were like well there fire. was so that's a that's lot, part of it yeah.
2: but again they've had time to get through the woods mm-hmm. and you know cool off but either way it, what I believe happened since they only found the one and his ammo ammunition bearers were both killed yeah and so yep. they found eight millimeter ammunition like in the creek so obviously he died near the creek and it fell into the water but beardsley either it jammed or it was just he ran out of ammo because there was a fight earlier that morning and they just didn't think to reload because they were on the middle of pushing well, whatever happened. Another, happens, another, another oh, no.
3: major factor is getting dirt or debris in the magazine because it had the open the yeah. half moon windows. And that could that could just cause it to not function. And then when you're in a firefight, you don't have time to correct that. So right. who knows? But
2: there's a there's a multitude of like that's probably something happened. Something happened, yep. And his gun champ, but it does not it doesn't change the fact that there was an automatic rifle in this fight. Yeah. This isn't just you for sure for sure. You know, yeah. There's an automatic rifle yep. in the well. middle of it.
1: But not surprisingly, there are not a show show to be seen in the movie. Um, so yeah, of course not. No, <laughs> yeah, I mean no. they probably didn't even know what that was back then.
3: Oh, well, they did. It was just a uh, just, French gun, just like the 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 Model 1917 was a British gun. That's why they didn't want to. It's all about America, and it's like, yeah, it, yeah. Well, that's true. You know, the, just, just yep, sorry, ch- Nate.
4: Just to chime in here though, real quick. I mean, just to go back to the show show. I mean, uh, Brian, when was the K98 first dated? Which one? No one, no one do you think oh, are you it is doing this again? Go back to no. uh, when it shakes the, the barley,
0: but yeah, I mean, the other thing too is Sorry. like Mike,
4: it reminded me so much of Mike, that. You brought up a ge-
0: Go good point, you know, because of the ammunition and stuff. The eight millimeter Lebel is such a fucked up round because it was rushed what? into development that it doesn't do well with debris and violent extraction, so it could have been just been like a rupture. Well, it's, it's a, anything know? like here's yeah. the thing
3: is the, the CSRG 15 had had problems, it did, it wasn't perfect, it wasn't you know, the best automatic rifle ever invented. However, it wasn't automatic rifle, and it was a fucking beast when it worked. It worked, yeah. You know, it's like, bam! You've got a lot of firepower with one team of guys, and they're pretty simple too. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the oh, thing is yeah. like they're simple, but they're also simple to fuck up and there, Was it was was it was it wasn't it
4: the ammo changed it really
3: really yeah they, they, it? Tried like, it, they, they tried the that, to they tried to chamber to thirty out six but that was the, the, the myth
0: comes from they made a version in thirty out six that wasn't the blueprints oh, was weren't translated correctly um, and this actually happened later in the fifties with another story with the they called the Enfield inch where they misconverted the yep. uh, FNFALs from Belgian like metric standards to imperial uh, your know, English standards and that mm. they fucked it all up. Same thing happened with the uh, 1918 versions and 30 out six show shows. Basically, they didn't finish machining the end of the chamber, and it was rough. It was like fucking sandpaper. So rounds would would, you know get ripped apart and everything. And it was also reputation. They never
3: they never they never actually adapted the bolt to take rimmed Mm -hmm. or uh, rimless ammunition, and so it it really the extractor. Fucking malfunction constantly because it couldn't pick up the next round or like you know not not pick up but like extract the next round, and it was that was very very rushed, and it was not yeah, a good and design. That, and,
4: and and that whole that whole like like you know that I would say mythology that it's a terrible you know rifle to begin with stems from a lot of that. Yes, uh, from from the from I, the layered development one because for me I'm guilty of that too. Until we really started kind of diving into. World War I at the start of this and I would say maybe like two or three years ago at this point I started to realize that the Shisha was not a terrible no. it's design. a good gun
2: if you use it's, it right yeah yeah, yeah. It maintain it. it it's just mm-hmm. yeah, yeah.
4: It made, I mean like like anything
0: I mean the BAR can be a terrible <laughs> weapon if it's not maintained the other thing, and, and, and done correctly you know? the other thing too is that so they gave most of the 30 out six ones I think to the Marines yes and the Marines showed up and they had Lewis guns and they took all the Lewis guns away from the Marines and gave it to the Air Corps so they were fucking pissed And then they get this horrible piece of shit gun that was rush production and doesn't work. So what do you think the Marines are going to say about this gun that they didn't want in the first place that doesn't work? French piece of shit. You know, fucking French. That's the best best piece
2: of uh, Marine Corps history at the Battle of Blancmont was once the 36th (laughs) Division showed up to relieve them, the Marines stole all their BARs and uh, (laughs) gave them their show shows. And on the way out, the officers were told, Every single BAR better be returned. And they had to go back through to every single foxhole and make the Marines give back the BARs to the 36th <laughs> it's Division. It's like a And my favorite, it's like Captain James Sellers in his memoir, he wrote that he had to go through and take their BARs. And he's like, oh, you guys, this is bad. Don't do that. And then he went back to his foxhole and pulled out the BAR he had taken and had to return it, too. <laughs> so, you know, well, that's, that's just, the thing, too. Know, is like that also,
3: again, they were, they were uh, so, like, you know, I obviously have an affinity for the 32nd Division. They were issued show-shows, right? And the French told them how to maintain them, how to fire them. A lot of the Americans, when they got into firefights, especially very early on, would just go cyclic on them. They would just go, and then you get that reciprocating barrel issue. The barrel's not going to reciprocate. The action's not going to work, blah, blah, blah. you have to hit them against trees to try and do that. And when when they used them how the French told them to in bursts and stuff and, like, walking fire and whatnot, they worked very effectively. And so that's, yeah, that's another misnomer about that. But, like, yeah.
2: Well, either way, there was a show show in that ravine. Cool. With Alvin York. Yes, there was. And, you know, the evidence shows that it was all there. Also, just a weird side fact, they also found uh, the tank rifle uh, ammunition oh, in the ravine. tank of yeah. Yeah, oh, they did yeah. find yeah. ammunition for it. So there was one of those in that ravine too with the German. That makes sense for a sa- that was the German sniper, right? From like Battlefield One. No, <laughs> um.
0: <laughs> shooting. <laughs> no, that planes. was actually one yeah. of the. Uh, that would make sense for a sapper uh, unit, though, to be honest. Kit?
2: Yeah, you know they, they yeah, yeah well and they they've they've got it. So there was a lot going on. But if we if we look at that and the reality of what they found and how the archaeology matches with the research, and now look at that movie of where when that battle hits. Uh, even early in the movie, he says, uh, York, you're the only non-commissioned officer left. Take over. And then York, like, runs off and goes turkey hunting in the woods, you know. <laughs> As any it, good PFC it just, should. <laughs> yeah, and everyone else is just cowering and pissing their pants in the bushes. And York himself is, one, he runs up that slope. That soil and that ravine is so loose, there is no chance in hell he ran up that oh. slope. Right. Right. He did not charge up that slope at all. And in the movie he's running, he's diving and he's just taking them well, out one by one. Yeah,
1: James, it's the it's, it's you know, it's the hills of Southern California.
2: Yeah, of gobble course. Up. Oh, you know, <laughs> gobble, gobble, and he shoots yeah. him in the
5: head. <laughs> and,
4: and, right? no, and, and nothing's a uh, greater uh, rounds per minute than your own bolt action than sitting next to a fully loaded Maxim pointed down. Yeah, there. of course. Right. You <laughs>
2: know, screw that. He's, oh, that. he's a marksman with it. And of course, you know, making sure you're licking your sight. That is the hard shot. To, yeah. It's hard to yeah. lick the sight on an MG08, Nate. That's why. Yeah, yeah. You know, you <laughs> gotta right, lick yeah. that a lot. Like, so. Well, and the worst, I think the absolute worst, because this is a myth that is just so common, is his turkey shoot. Because that whole scene in the training sets up the scene in the movie where he runs out of ammo. And all of a sudden, these Germans put their bayonets and they charge his ass. And he goes, I got this. Pulls his pistol out and shoots him one at a time back to front and then shoots the officer in front.
4: With a Luger. Yeah, right a there. Luger, yeah. And that's yeah. because... Yeah, yeah. The- because we didn't have we didn't have blank for 45s, 45s. yeah, yeah all right. Yeah.
2: so he shoots them all. And that order and that, even that like back to front myth, that was made up in 1922 by Samuel Cohen, the author who wrote the first book uh, about Alvin York. He made it up because the original sources, petulo in the in Buxton's 82nd division history, say that some Germans, they were basically running to the sound of the battle and just ran into York because he was closest and he shot the officer first and then pop shots off at the others and they scattered into the woods. weird, right? That front. So uh, basically, you know, in the ravine, they're coming up this way and it's wooded. It's thick. It's underbrush. They run into York. Pop, 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 pop. He shoots a few of them and they, they scatter. And then somehow Samuel Cohen. Well, actually I, I can explain this, this part of the myth when he asked, you know, about it, the way, uh, George Petullo wrote the article. In his article, he says that York's skill in shooting came from his turkey hunts back home. That's all he says is that York was an avid hunter and he used to do a lot of turkey shoots. And that's why York is a good shot. Fast forward to Samuel Cohen. He says, well, turkey shoots, they say they shoot back to front. So that must mean that Alvin York shot them (laughs) like turkeys and shot them back to front. So he creates that myth of this turkey shoot. And then it gets added into the 1928 book, and then it gets added into the movie. But there's an article after the movie comes out where York they're interviewing York, and he says the turkey shoot did not apply to that engagement. Weird. Uh, and there's even a weird article where they changed it to squirrels. Like, that's how he shoots squirrels back home. I didn't know that. And, Jesus. Yeah, it's a weird discussion. about With my flintlock. That myth. Yeah, that, that whole thing, uh, the the turkey shoot, is... A myth that just continues. it just stays. It continues.
4: It, it's, it's it's interesting though, because didn't we didn't we do a film recently where they did the turkey gobble?
2: Uh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Guadalcanal diary. They 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 said this is just like Alvin yeah. York. Gobble gobble yep. gobble. Yeah.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Was it was it that okay? Yeah. I couldn't remember what film it was recently, but the the guy even went. He did pop up. He did as, as a reference, because yeah. he
1: said before he said that, he said, I'm just like Alvin York. Like And they okay, did that, that in that, World yeah. War II.
2: You can find news yeah. articles of them like this this soldier in the Pacific is the modern-day Alvin York. You know, yeah. they'll, they'll use York as a comparison throughout the war, right. so that makes sense for the movie. It's, but it's even just, that, yeah. I mean, that's just pure myth. That, that it, turkey shoot never happened. It's
4: just so funny just how something just gets latched on, and then it gets perpetuating into pop culture and 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 you know the culture yeah. of a country or well it always Nevada happens it's a or,
2: bad game yeah. of telephone you know it's like yeah yeah and hell I as a undergrad I wrote no I was a graduate student finishing my master's and I wrote an article about dragons and elephants in medieval bestiaries right that was my topic for the paper and what I discovered was it was through translation so if you look at like 14th century discussions on elephants it says. Elephants have no kneecaps and so they sleep leaning against trees. So the the hunters will come out and cut the tree and the elephant will try to sleep and fall over and that's how they kill an elephant. And if you back it up, I was like, where did they get this information? So I started looking at older and older and older sources. And if you back it up all the way to Julius Caesar's uh, Gaelic Wars, in his discussion of the animals of uh, Gaul, he says that. There are elk who don't have knees and they lean on trees. And so the hunters come out and they cut the wood and the elk falls over and they kill it. The next sentence says there are bulls as big as elephants. And so somewhere in that 500 years, someone mistranslated and equated the description of the elk to that reference to an elephant. And then you end up with this weird discussion in the 1400s of elephants with no knees. It's a bad game of telephone. One person screws up and it creates a cascade of bad information. And that's what happened with the myth.
1: You could write a whole book about that phenomenon. Call it Uh like elephants with no knees or something.
2: Yeah. It's amazing to think. And the turkey shoot is a perfect example. Even that's only 20 years. And in 20 years, you you create a myth that extends even to Mastriano and uh, Nelson's York Patrol. That stupid ass turkey shoot is in those books. Right, that, <laughs> that book came out in 2021. Did it? Ma- Mastri- and yet, it's there. 99
0: Mastriano- years after the myth. Sorry. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> didn't Mastriano? Um, d- he used a photo, uh, and it's like the cover of his Jesus book, Christ. and he says like that. Yeah, that's that's yours. Th- <laughs> yeah, what I will say is Mastriano. <laughs> that's,
2: that's the best
4: answer. Oh Jesus Christ! Jesus Christ. Mastriano <laughs> should
2: never, ever, ever be used as a source for any information. Well, I guess I have, have to door. relearn everything book, then. That book is absolute garbage. It is full of lies and academic misconduct. Go read the news. He's all in the news right now because his PhD is being investigated for academic fraud. Whoops. His book's been pulled for academic fraud. All thanks to me. Well, he's a politician, but, <laughs> right? So I know that yeah, they yeah, he's a lot of... Yeah, he's running for governor of Pennsylvania. And I, I reported him before that. Everyone keeps trying to claim, oh, you're just doing this because of politics. I don't give a oh, shit no, what no. he does in Pennsylvania. Dude, before he was you know, running, live there.
3: you told me about, you know, that shit, you were posting about that shit. So yeah, I, I, as a witness, no, it's not because of the political
2: shit. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I, I did this long before this he is did This PhD. I did a, this has nothing to do with politics. Yeah, this is academic work, does. right? But it's that exact same thing, is that he continues the myth. And yeah, he uses a photo on the front cover which he says, this is confirmed to be, and there's no evidence. He cites himself. So if you go read that article, he says, <laughs> it appears to be Alvin York. And then he cites himself again. So if you go back another one, he says, this guy has a mustache and kind of looks like Alvin York. Therefore <laughs> this must be Alvin York. Oh, and right? Nobody had a mustache it's stated in the by Exhibitionary Yeah. It's stated by me. <laughs> yeah. And he quotes a German yeah. document. And so I went, I even tracked down this German document and had it translated. It's just his fucking article in German that was published in something like some stupid gun magazine. Like it's him. It's just him. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah the uh, he's a big issue with perpetuating the myth and there's even like a, I said James Carl Nelson's book's the same it perpetuates the
1: myth there's a hilarious story of fraud going on in there that, uh, be oh made all through, of like, it a great and biopic or something Yeah.
2: perpetuation mm-hmm. of myth throughout the Polka King. And these authors <laughs> what it falls to is that no one bothers to check the history they don't want to do their own research they just want to go with actually you know the number one source for all of these books that come out about him uh, what is the 1928 Tom Scahill book about Alvin York. <laughs> Same thing the movie is based off of. Nice. So they all base themselves off this one book that Tom Scahill, the author is a known scam artist and the biography, there's only, there's a biography about him and it talks about the fact that he was well known for scams, even like Anzio. He was at Anzio cause he was Australian and then he faked blindness and then he becomes the blind poet. Like he was blinded at Anzio and then he comes to America after the war and he's miraculously healed at a doctor. Yeah. Well, he loses his eyesight at Gallipoli and then he's in a hospital in Egypt becomes famous poet. And then after the, when he's always wearing these glasses, sunglasses, and then after the war, when he's in America, he miraculously regains his eyesight and now he's he's good again. And now he just goes on tour and he's like, Hey, Alvin York, uh, I see a good money-making opportunity. Let me write a book about you. And then he just makes shit up throughout the whole thing or excludes bits (laughs) and pieces. And he calls it the Diary of Alvin York, like Alvin York wrote it. So, And it's all in the first person and that stupid mountain dialect that never existed. Mountain dog. So, (laughs) yeah. yeah. Uh, I touched him off. That's that's the one word he likes. I touched him (laughs) off. Put that that potatoes in a poke. Yeah. Yeah, it's... All, all of it is just made up, but it's all using that one bad source. And it's ridiculous when we think about it now. It's like there were 16 men, 17 men, 6 were killed. So there are 11 men who survived that battle, and they, all of these authors only cared about one person's perspective, and they ignored the 10 others. I, I,
4: I think we went over this uh, the, the first time, but did any of those guys get any type of... Any type of... Uh... i I don't want to say accommodation is that the right word accommodation technically yes
2: okay um the investigation was a sham to get him the medal of honor everyone uses that like that's the go-to well it was they did an investigation yeah it was bullshit It, it was a scam they they had the paperwork filled out before they even went and did the investigation so that proves it but technically when they did it they uh they said none of the other men deserve awards. And it went up the chain and they changed it to none of the other men deserve the distinguished service cross. And then it goes up the board again to the final commanding officer, Lindsay. And he says, no, no, no one deserves any special recommendations. But then Lindsay does cite, uh, five of the guys in general orders, which later, uh, qualifies them for a silver star. So five of the men were later cited, um, But that was it. And then Bernard Early is cited for a DSC uh, recommendation in the 20s, and the War Department buries it because it would undermine York, and York wouldn't agree to sign it. So they buried it, and then in 1929, they got embarrassed when it came to light that they had buried it before. And so they gave Early a Distinguished Service Cross in 1929. And then fast forward to 1965 with the intervention of President Lyndon B. Johnson, Otis Merrithew, a.k.a. Cutting in the movie, is awarded a silver star. So how does this
0: pretty obscure action in a ravine in France, you know, in The Muse Argonne end up turning into this huge Medal of Honor, you know, winning event? I got a free house from Tennessee now. Yeah. Like, you know. Uh,
2: he, it's a press agent. I mean, that's it. I mean, Alvin York is not remarkable. Uh, he's not remarkable at all. In fact, I'll just pull Oklahoma The same day, October eighth, Sam Sampler uh, charges a machine gun nest, actually single-handedly, and Cap kills and captures the Germans, and then gets the Medal of Honor. We never talk about him, so why, why did Alvin York become this this creature, uh, this this big one? This creature, Uh, this creature, (laughs) it's creation. (laughs) Creation is what I was going for. (laughs) Um, And basically, what I found was he he originally got the DSC. Right, fine, whatever. He got the DSC. But Duncan, his commanding officer, George Duncan, who led the 82nd Division, Duncan's reputation was shit. His commanding officer, Hunter Liggett, hated the man. Uh, If you read the diary of Hunter Liggett's aide, he would record the general's thoughts on people. And on October 8th, on the battle for Hill 223, or whatever the hill was, 123, I can't think of the number, um, he writes in his diary that Duncan's an idiot, and thinks he should be given a dsc for doing nothing but holding his dick and playing around all day. And he this uh, is in the times, Liggett, you know, this is the teens when people spoke properly. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and his thought was that his biggest failure was hill 223. Well, the officers they could they knew they'd lose their rank after the war because their their ranks are only wartime. And so they were all clamoring to like find something to hold their rank. And Duncan here's this story about this country bumpkin conscientious objector in his unit who got at the DSC and he starts telling everyone about it and atta- basically attaches himself to York and becomes York's like press agent. He tells uh, um, the reporters, he pulls in uh, George Petullo and then he recommends York for the medal of honor based purely on York's story of what happened. Right. And a medal of honor investigation, you know, you should think would take a week, two weeks, three weeks to actually be good. York's Medal of Honor investigation is a total of three days. It was recommended the Medal of Honor on February 5th. And it was after our investigation, we want him to be given the Medal of Honor on February 7th, five, six, seven, three days, right? And so after that, Duncan puts him in the press. George Petullo writing for the Saturday Evening Post, the largest magazine in the country writes, the second elder gives battle. And all of a sudden York is thrown into the limelight. Now, there are some historians that have argued about this. How do you create these heroes? And basically the idea is York is a draftee. He's a salt of the earth kind of guy and he beat the army at its own game. And that makes a folk hero. And that's what really pushes him. Um, Most people also quote Pershing when Pershing says that Alvin York was the greatest soldier of World War I. That's not true. The actual quote, says that um, many soldiers exemplify the standards of the U.S. Army. That includes um, Charles Whittlesey, Alvin York, and... Um, oh, shit. Jim. George uh, Samuel Woodfill. James Whittlesey. And Samuel Woodfill. And in Pershing's perspective, Samuel Woodfill was the greatest soldier of World War I. But Samuel Woodfill is a career military guy. And Alvin York beat the army, so Alvin York becomes the folk hero and becoming that folk hero creates the legend, which then just spirals out of control. And
4: and then and then like to kind of go off what you said about you know how that officer then is like his press agent per mm-hmm. se. What other in your research where, have you been able to find out like who really profited from Duncan like, the Sergeant York? Duncan. Just Duncan by himself. So Duncan and Lindsay or...
2: saved their reputations. And then if after the war when he comes home. And he goes to all these like press dockets. Sitting next to him on the stage is General George Duncan. He sh- he follows York around. Duncan saves his reputation, and you know pulls in the accolades as being Alvin York's commanding officer. And so, you know that could have been the end of it. But in the nineteen twenties, when the other men start speaking out and want to be recommended, guess who's the officer at the War Department that receives the recommendations for the other men? George Duncan. And George Duncan buries it, so he saved his reputation. He kept his rank, and he went into the War Department, and then was in a position to bury the other men and their their uh, recommendations. And,
4: and and because and because and you had stayed before, like you know, worried about losing their own rank. Mm-hmm. What rank was he before all that?
2: Well, he was a general. So okay. Uh, so why? So why? So
4: why would he lose his rank? So
2: most of the army, out, especially the National about. Army guys, the draftees. Mm-hmm. Their ranks are just for the duration of the war. You know, the army didn't have, you know, all these generals, right? So these men are being promoted in wartime. But they all knew that when the war was over, the army was going to downsize and send everybody home. And with that downsizing, you don't need 200 generals anymore. And so the ranks would be, you know, would drop back to the pre-war ranks. So what would
4: keep him from keeping... What would would allow him to keep his rank or was this before the war was even done reputation
2: reputation purely i mean he attaches himself plus the fact that liggett was pissed at him i mean i'm I'm Mm -hmm. not joking there's like four times he's like liggett's or duncan's a moron and we should replace him right so he obviously wasn't in good standing but he his reputation attached himself to york and with that he was able to bounce it and move forward so uh that I and mean, that's that's purely why it was created. It was not for war bonds, it was not for anything, it was purely by the army officers to save their reputation. He's a fucking grifter. And keep yeah. their position. Fucking grifter. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's exactly what happened. And then Alvin York goes home and gets a free farm and lives in Tennessee making a Bible school, which what idiot decided it was a good idea for an uneducated guy who never made it past the eighth grade to run a school you know that's just the stupidest thing how did he go it failed it failed they, they kicked him out they the board uh kicked him off the bo- he kicked him out of the director position so he got it kicked out because like,
1: it sounds like he wasn't a very likable person
2: no and then i mean hell he died he died uh he had a bunch of fraud, tax fraud, cause he never paid his taxes and the government bailed him out because they were like, this looks bad if our greatest hero is a, you know, a criminal of tax fraud. Oh my and God. so they bailed him out before his death. But, oh uh, it's like York is just a country bumpkin. I mean, and to be fair to him, you know, just to prove I'm not York bashing. I mean, he is the start of it. He is the cause of it. It's his story. And he, he got the, the, the reputation. And after, even before the war ended, he was taken on a press tour throughout France to speak to all these other troops about his story um, before the Medal of Honor stuff. And so York was already parading around telling everyone his version of the of events. But York found himself in a position with his officers taking control of it that he can't get out of now. You know, it's, he's got to go with yeah. it. And so it's it's the, it's the George Petullo changing the story. It's the army officers attaching them to his story. And then it's the authors in the twenties attaching themselves and changing things. And then it's Warner brothers attaching themselves and changing things. So York becomes a victim of all these other groups, manipulating his story for their own benefit.
3: And this film is 20 years after the fact with all that bullshit going on in the interwar years. Mm-hmm. And this is the result you get.
2: This is the result. And, and he, you know, made a lot of money off of it. Yeah. And it went to his Bible school, but even that he didn't pay his taxes on it, which is the issue. So, but I mean, like I said, he—I I am sure Alvin York, besides this point in his life, is a good guy. I mean, he had good intentions. He wanted to bring education to the people of yeah. where, he's, where he's from. All right, good intentions. I'm all for Just that. Not, not, but not the issue good was, yeah, no, the issue was that he left out all these other men multiple times when he had the opportunity. Yeah, and. These other men suffered because of it. Do you think it, that's because you know? he by was by the time the movie comes out, they're screwed.
3: Do you think that's because he was told to do that, or do you just think he did
2: that? I think it's both. Okay. I think it's okay. like I said, he's he's in a position where he can't get out of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. They and they even um, Otis Matthews cutting. You know, he wrote a letter to Warner Brothers saying, like, there are there were sixteen others. Yeah. You know, we yep. want our say in what happens with this movie, and they toyed around with the idea of bringing Matthews out to be the consultant for the battle scenes. And I've got a co- it's in the book, um, but it's a letter from one of the screenwriters. And he basically says, Are you idiots? You know damn well bringing him on set would piss off York, and York has total control of this movie. So they don't allow the other men any say in the movie. Yeah. They just exploit them and use exploitative tactics. That's why it turned out like shit. Off. In, in hindsight. Exactly. In hindsight and the men yeah. were pissed, you know, yep. and they get left out of the story. And, yep. uh, you know, these men, you get like Patrick Donahue was suffering from severe PTSD when they found him thomas johnson was in texas suffering from extreme extreme case of ptsd and they just basically lied and paid him pennants and got him to sign a document and then made the movie they wanted it and kicked out the other men from their own story yep now just a quick
0: question now a lot has been said about you know PTS, ptsd ptsd shell shock whatever you want to call it battle fatigue but
2: mm-hmm.
0: like were they just alcoholics or uh, so patrick
2: donahue was an alcoholic and he was wounded. He, he got the Purple Heart and the Silver Star for actions on that day in the battle. Mm-hmm. Um, he was an alcoholic in the 20s, or in the 30s when they found him. Uh, he did get his, himself together and um, help move forward. But uh, Thomas Johnson, I mean, he was the one I could find the least amount of information on. But the stories of when they found him and for the movie, uh, he was living broke and poor, um sheltered away in, in Denison, Texas, and uh never wanting to really see the light of day. He was just he never talked about it and uh was obviously suffering from the side effects. And I mean all the others were too. I mean Matthew, uh he was uh dealing with it uh early was shot three times. I mean he dealt with a lot of repercussions of the war afterwards. Uh but they just they and you know the thing is people argue once this movie came out that the other men are just jealous. They want the money and the fame, but that original letter mentioned nothing of money. It simply wanted the battle to be right. And of course they're pissed off. How would you feel if, you know, the five of us all did something and we were all integral into it. And then after the battle, everyone's talking about me and how great I was And the rest of you were just pissing yourselves in the corner. James wrote this book.
4: What a fucking asshole. Exactly. And then,
2: you know, (laughs) then we make a movie about me and how great I am. And I don't include any of you in that discussion or or the movie.
1: Now, you should edit this dialogue so it sounds like he's just saying that sincerely. (laughs) So we're going to make a movie about me and how great I am. (laughs) How great I am. And none of you are
2: ever going to get your mention. (laughs) Right and so of course they're pissed off. I would be pissed off that this story is national news and it's been completely York single handed when there were sixteen other men in that ravine with him, six Mm. who were killed, and you basically just wipe away their entire existence. And the movie does that spectacularly, or it just erases the other men. Yeah, exactly. Only Mister Lick Sights.
3: Yeah, and it's like so.
4: It took me a full Mr. second to realize Mr. you PFC weren't saying Lick a sites. real last name. Yeah. It took me a whole second to realize you weren't saying a real last name. Oh yeah, Lix. Yeah.
3: Fucking get, get it together, uh, Nathan.
0: Polish? Is he
2: Polish it. or is he uh, Italian? Lixites. Yeah. Lixites. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Polish. Uh, yeah, okay. Private Lixites. Yeah. Yeah. Sites. Um, Not Native American. What the, the, the Oh, fuck. that's right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: He's from the Hopi Nation, right? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah,
0: of course. the fuck is just going to Thank you,
3: clowns. But... uh Oh what the fuck was I going to say? Oh yeah, so that's why I asked you earlier James. I was like if it was made today, like it could probably be made like better because now now we have the information from somebody who has actually done legitimate research and not just, you know, the, less than the bare minimum. And like yeah. you got you got the story as, as correct as we can know it. That's the thing is well, like Well,
2: and I the way I want to say it is, you know, right now we have the story of one man getting the Medal of Honor mm-hmm. and single-handedly but what's the better and, and Lindsay did later try to like make amends for it. And he wrote a letter to Duncan saying, I should have recommended all of the other men for silver stars. So, you know, what's a better story? A man, a uh, one man coming out of this ravine with all the glory or a story of a 17 man patrol sent on a suicide mission. And they, these 17 men, six are killed. So these 11 men capture 132 Germans and at the end of the day you have a medal of honor two distinguished service crosses and 14 silver stars that's unheard of for a unit yet that is what happened here and i think that is a much better story than this this epic myth that has become alvin
3: right and also i do want to i do want to point this out it's going to be very controversial to a lot of the listeners Those guys doing that thing on that patrol, okay, while extraordinary and fucking insane, that many awards for that patrol. Also insane. Mm -hmm. And so it's a suicide mission. But here's the thing: is like no, no, but like Nick, I'm I'm coming at at the perspective of like the AEF Mm -hmm. was very hell bent on capitalizing on stories like this, as we have seen. And, you know, the right people get contacted. And because here's the thing, James, is, like, there were other patrols that did similar shit, like you were just saying, mm-hmm. on the same day and everything. They probably didn't even get bronze stars. You know, they were just no. like, hey, good job. Right. Hey, fucking A. You know. All comes down to a press agent. Exactly. And so that's 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 another story to tell is, yeah, so why did this patrol in this particular unit at this time, on this day, when there was a shitload of people fighting the same battles in this front, in, in this offensive, why these guys? Was it because of the trickle-down from, like, York? Oh, we get the Medal of Honor, mm-hmm. the distinguished service crosses. Okay, well, we have to give them something, or it's going to look like shit. You know, or, you know, that's the kind of thing is like, the AEF yeah. was very award-happy. Because they were like, whoa, this is the first time we've been mobilized... On this scale, in a long time, let's just fucking shell it. awards morale, morale, morale. Then we can get these guys, the DSCs and all this shit, the Silver Stars to go around and talk, and then we can send the guy with the Medal of Honor home, and which didn't happen, I know, but like, you know, they were thinking yeah. there was gonna be a 1919 offensive. Okay, we can send him home and like drive war bonds and like blah, blah, blah. You know, so that's, that's also the perspective that people need to think about in the First World War, especially. With the a- or the American Expeditionary Force, when I say AEF, well, you do that's need to means. take into
2: account yep. that just before the war, the Army completely revamped their rec- their uh, requirements for the Medal of Honor because oh, they've they? given so many out. Yeah, 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 exactly. They, yes, you know, 1917, they were like, we need to increase the the standard to make the Medal of Honor actually mean something. So to give it to York and create this story, I mean, I know that I mean it's an understanding that like to get a medal, you really have to kind of exaggerate a bit on the recommendation to get people that deserve metals medals but in this case to erase an entire unit to give one man the source which also by the way I am able to prove that some of the uh recommendations were forged. So talk about that quick. That's that's also so like the recommendation is people always claim that well they did in uh you know affidavits. They're not affidavits. There's five and they're all Alvin York's sworn statement. So it's Alvin really? York's. Ver- yeah, yeah. These There are no affidavits. Well, no, 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 no. Oh,
3: hold on for a second. There were no sworn statements
2: from any other person that participated in no. the again- No, that's the beauty of this. Everyone has given me shit for it. I went and tracked down Alvin York's service file. It survived the fire. I have it. And I can prove to you that the five uh, affidavits that gave him the Medal of Honor are his, Alvin York's, statement to which the other men signed, and I quote-unquote that, because Theodore Sock and Joseph Kornacki are signed with an X, and then it says, his mark. Theodore Sok signed his own draft registration card. He can sign his own damn name, and Joseph Kornacki, while he did have to sign his draft registration with an X, remember... I told you Camp Gordon had an entire school to teach these guys how to sign their names Mm -hmm. and understand English. They could all sign their names. So if you look at it in the grand scheme of things, I want you to think about this. February 5th is the day that he wrote, I'd recommend Alvin York for the Medal of Honor. Pershing says, okay, do an investigation. February 7th is the day they go out to the site, only taking York, by the way. They go out to the site, take York, say, York, what happened here? And York tells them what happened, and they're like, all right, cool, we, we agree, and we, we go home and we recommend him. Here's the beauty of it. When would you think the affidavits were signed, if on February 7th is the day they went out there? Before that. No, no. You, you, the proper way is that you have to first go to the site and get the information to write up a statement, Right. Right. You oh, can't yeah, write a yeah, statement yeah, yeah. No, unless okay, you've done yeah. the investigation. I thought they'd have gotten correct? statements
3: beforehand before even doing the investigation, they were.
2: right? The statements were signed right. February that, 6th. That, see, that, which means yeah. they prepared them and then forced the other men to sign them before they even did their investigation. So they had already accepted Alvin York's story and were already determined they were going to give him the Medal of Honor. That's so the, the entire investigation is a sham. That's it, 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 it was it was purely and. For looks. Yeah. It didn't and, actually and, exist. And if
4: a general is pushing it, that paperwork going to be pushed.
2: Exactly. And it was. At what point and did that's... they say, hey, you think you'd
0: hit that canteen? Why, yes, I so, can. So that's the beauty of
2: it. <laughs> Petullo does say that, like, one of the officers mentioned to York, oh, I wonder if I could make that shot. And it, he kind of alludes to a mm-hmm. shooting competition between the two. Mm-hmm. But then in the archaeology, when they found all of these shell casings, mm-hmm. or, or casings, in the area, and then artifacts with like different size bullet holes. It's very obvious that they had set these items up for target practice uh, yeah, while they were doing the investigation.
0: It just sounds like a field trip. Like we got everything exactly. done. and we're that's what it was. It was some hey, we're good on the battlefield. You did that. Listening
2: no, like... to York, never taking anyone else. What? Also, I should I should say this for you, Mike. They never asked Bernie Early. Otis Marithew or Thomas Johnson for their statements on what See, That's a complete crack of shit. The because officers in charge were never That's
3: asked. That's a complete crack of shit because it's like, okay, so if the standards were raised in 1917 for the Medal of Honor, right? The way I've heard it go on for the most part since then is you need a shitload of sworn statements, testimony, other people, other people that were there with you have to recommend to your chain of command directly that, yeah, it's the Medal of Honor and blah, blah, blah. And then they have to yeah. fill out sworn statements individually, sign them with witnesses, right? And then it goes up and then there's an investigation. And it's not usually just a couple weeks. It's usually, well, during wartime. Okay. I'll give you a couple weeks, but like, yeah, but this is, oh, this is after the war. I, I know, but I'm saying during wartime, sure. A few weeks going out there, oh, yeah, yeah, but you need a shitload of sworn statements. Well, it's it's goes goes the back fucking to the movie. silver star
2: dude like it's it's in the brand Yeah, star. well the movie shows this right yeah. there's a whole scene in the movie of them doing this investigation and taking these officers with York and being like oh yeah York you definitely did all this you know Yeah, yeah. and also they drove up there if you notice in the movie yeah. they drove yep, yep. into the ravine yeah. but anyway they, that's in the movie this whole investigation's in the movie and it's obvious that they felt like people realized these affidavits aren't really correct so two weeks after they've done their full investigation there's another affidavit signed that's more personable that kind of gives it more like oh we didn't make this up and it's signed by two men Percy Beardsley and uh, George Wills which Percy Beardsley ends up having like four different sworn statements for this entire thing but the beauty of it is that these two men Swore to a doc, swore quote unquote to a document that they saw these things that Alvin York did. These two men were the exact opposite sides of that ravine during the engagement, they could not have seen what Alvin York did. None of even Alvin York admits that he couldn't see anyone else but the Germans during the battle because they're in thick underbrush, right? They're in the woods. And so the fact that these men are all swearing to what York did, none of them saw anything the any other person was doing. So there's no way they could swear to what happened. But they are they are told to sign these documents, and they do. It's so. mafioso style.
0: But no James, agenda. didn't you just watch the movie? I mean... It, it, the, the movie, you know, they show a different way than what you're saying, and the movie got it right. So I don't know why you. Yeah, well, all the movies, off. the <laughs> movies got everything. Alvin York
2: <laughs> swore to it, and of course, that medal, Medal of Honor investigation, that can't be wrong. There are people, there are people that are on, you know, Facebook, and I, I like to, you know, stoke the fire every now and then. But there are people that truly believe the Medal of Honor is sacrosanct, like that. You do not question the Medal of Honor or any investigations to it. I have been in, you know, constant argument with these people that are like, no, how dare you question his Medal of Honor? You're now questioning the integrity of York and those army officers, and they are the utmost, and, like, somehow, none of that should be it. That's the final say. But it's not the truth, and when you actually look into it, it's full of the fact that these are people who are greedy and are self-serving. And they make up these documents, and people really truly have gotten into you know heated arguments with me uh, over the fact that I even thought to question. Well, that's because that's because that I'm just gonna say this.
3: I'm just gonna say this. They've never been in the military because that shit is still running rampant. And if you knew the amount of bullshit that goes down with people that deserve awards don't get them, and people that don't deserve awards and get them mm-hmm. based on who they know, even nowadays, it it yep. it, it, it should surprise me more. But like. I'm sorry, Nate. I'll be done in a second. Um, it should surprise me more, but it really doesn't. And I'm just like, oh, this has been going on for over 100 fucking years. Well, probably longer. But it's like, yeah. it's not it's it's not what you did. It's who you know and who, who right. sees you and how they can, can benefit. benefit. From, yeah, I was just going to say, yeah. yep, who can, how they can benefit from what you did because these fucking officers didn't have the balls to do what York did. They were never in a firefight. They were never in combat, you know. On the front lines, you know, but hey, they're gonna benefit from that shit. Fucking leeches, fucking miserable yeah. sex shit. Sorry, Nate.
4: No, it's fine. Brian has h- h- hands up first. So.
3: Well, just really
0: quickly, it's kind of interesting. So you say this, you know, sacrosanct, middle of honor bullshit, whatever. Have you ever heard of Brian Mark Rigg? He's a historian, he's wrote a few books. No, he came I out with one recently um, uh, called Flamethrower, and he was contracted um, from Woody. <sighs> Hensola Harrison, the last surviving Medal of Honor vet from the Second World War, okay. who he won his Medal of Honor on Iwo Jima in 1945. And he was like, I want to you know, tell away, my story. He? he did this year. So he was like, I yeah. want to tell my story. And this historian was like, fuck yeah, let's do it. He went to Iwo Jima with him. He like he did all this stuff. And then he started doing research. And he found all these horrible inconsistencies in his Medal of Honor like process. So he wrote a 500 fucking page book about it. And Woody Harrelson sued him because he was like no <laughs> and all these people that are like you are a marine you can't attack a marine what are right. you saying and he right. was like this is the this is where the facts led me i i was going to write the book and this is where this is history i have i mean this is the truth and you know? same things happening they're putting him on a cross and nailing him and all these like guys in the 80s and 70s like these older marines are like you can't you can't take down a brother he's like it's fucking facts it is facts yeah. and it's just, a lot of things that he talks about in his book align directly with what you're saying and this is 26 years later, 1945.
4: Well, I well I was just gonna chime off of what Brian said in 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 a, in a way. It's like you know, you you also have a thing where you know we have put these people up on a pedestal. You know, you were using them to to drive the war bonds. They are the American hero. They are the folk hero, American hero. You know, they are. Part of the pop culture and and, and and the culture as an integrity for Americans, I think, specifically for World War One, World War Two, and, you know, specifically people who we've been able to interact while they're still alive. You know, it's hard to obviously, yep. you know, do that with a Civil War veteran. For us, you know, obviously, but you know, World War One near the early part of our lives, we could still have that ability to interact with them. And now, with World War Two on its way out, unfortunately, you know, we're hitting that same thing. And I think you have that integrity where you know you have uh, you know the Boomers, you know, the whole generation before before us, uh, Gen X or whatever the I can't remember yes, which one Gen it X. is, but you know, they they all they all had that time with World War One and World War Two vets, specifically with you know these are Medal of Honor recipients, or these are, these are, this is the greatest generation. I completely agree with that statement, but, you know, at the same time, hmm. you know, not everyone is, you know, the best, the golden polster boy, you know, there is, there is exactly what we've already said already. There is corruption. There is personal gain. There is manipulation to get an agenda, you know, whether it's the government, whether it's your own personal beliefs, whatever, there is still all that. So when you start attacking kind of like the, what we consider to be the, you know, pinnacle heroes and the icons of what made that generation or that war or whatever, it's like people get, they feel personally attacked because we have, as a society have boosted them so high and, and it's, it's, it's very interesting what you said, like, you know, trying to take down the, let me, let me rephrase that, not take down to, to counter the legend of Sergeant York with factual evidence to say, Hey, this has happened. And people going, no, no, there's no way, there's no way. There's no way. Sergeant York, oh, he was the man. Oh, I all the time. He and taught, he taught special is... children in his Bible school. How yeah, dare you? Yeah, it's not my fault. Like, and they're you always
2: know... like, how dare you say it? I'm like, it's not me. It's the sources. Like, he paid I'm, all right, like, his taxes. I'm just the mediator. Like, like I'm know? just presenting you with the facts. Here's yeah. the document. Like, it's like, like I'm not making up yeah. dates. You know, here you can. here's the paperwork. You know, right, this right, shows yeah. it. If, if you, you just...
4: can if you can give factual evidence, like, if you can, like, say, here's everything, which obviously you can, I feel like you're totally entitled to take a different take on 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 a on a legend, well, whoever it may be, you know? I feel like it's when people go, well, I just don't like him because he's Christian. You're know, like, dad, okay, yeah, fuck off. You Mastriano know, like, like tried that, to you know? do that.
2: His, his claim to it, if you read the first of his book, it's like anyone that questions York is just a detractor that doesn't believe in God. And basically oh, the nice. way they did it for all these years was like, and I wrote this in my book. I wrote this in my book. Basically the way these authors have written this over the years is like, God is the reason Alvin York accomplished this. So to question Alvin York it's is to question, to question God. God. Yeah. And that uh, has been the that has been the predominant way. Is that the preamble of his like Bible school? That's <laughs> yeah. like
4: that's like that's like zealotry though. And, and, and it know, is. And now Mastriano's the worst about yeah. it. Because
2: I mean he's he's extremely religious. But it even like Petulo's original article was if you question York, I mean, York says God helped him get through it. And of course, this is a different generation that are more yes. religious, but it's still the fact that that was his statement. And so people that truly believe that, you know, more power to him. But the issue is, as a historian trying to be, un, you know, as unbiased as possible, they're like, well, that's not true. I don't care what the other men say. Alvin York had God behind him, and so he's the only source I need. And, you know, if I question Alvin York, then I'm questioning... It's, it's a fallacy. It's a fallacy. Hell, it is. And that's and it's unfortunate that that has been exactly uh, the way it's... it's been if somebody... Important. I don't
3: care what fucking subject you're talking about. I don't care what it's about at all. If somebody says, if you don't believe this, you A, hate grandma, you don't like religion, you hate God, you hate this group of people...
4: If you hate Sergeant
2: York, you hate America. Right, yeah, exactly. right. You hate America.
3: Yeah. You, hate, you hate whatever country you're in.
2: He is America. As
3: soon as soon as somebody opens their quote unquote argument up with that, they lose. They have nothing
2: because yeah. But once you get to that point, it's they won't deal with anyone dealing with a fallacy will never accept the the fact that they're dealing with a fallacy. No,
3: because they've been fooled themselves. And again, like Mark Twain said, it's a lot easier to fool somebody than convince somebody that they've been fooled and unfortunately that's the way it is it's like i we we've all talked to brainwashed people that just think a certain way i've been brainwashed i fucking know how it works okay i fucking yeah i bought into a lot of propaganda in my life all those cheese curds well that's not that's <laughs> not propaganda we'll talk about that later but like um no but like <laughs> i've i've bought into a bunch of shit that's how i know when i can be on the outside looking in i'm like oh you're brainwashed and then if your argument starts with that kind of verbiage, it's like, well, then you've been brainwashed completely and you're not actually, you're not being objective. You're not. Well,
2: and you also have to realize how deep this is. You oh, know? exactly. The yeah. army is so involved in this now that you've got the Alvin York State Park. You've got these people that yep. have d- dedicated their lives to Alvin York and his story. And I've even, you know, I've had an argument. It was on Facebook with Alvin York's grandson. And I met them. Uh, we daughter, argued over this and I said, here is an interview with your grandfather proving that I am right. And his response was, well, journalists change things. So they didn't matter. It yeah, didn't matter. Yeah, that yeah. What, his what's brother, their point? interview was with his grandfather. dude. It, 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 the yeah. journalist changed things. And what that color was the is the guy? You know, you can't convince an idiot. No, you can't. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, and so, it's not an idiot. It's just somebody that's so, so set in well, their ingrained. fucking way. Yeah. yeah, it's
3: so ingrained yeah. that it's like... Yeah, I'm guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. At you a certain can't point. correct.
4: You can't correct stubbornness. But but it's like I mean, at a you certain can't fix point. stupid.
3: Let's just let's just yeah. hear at least hear what somebody has to say instead of just. It's like putting up they that only had wall.
0: MG42s on Omaha Beach, right, Michael? Don't start <laughs> with that dude. <laughs> what? I mean, but didn't <laughs> and you and see Samu I mean, I mean, Ryan in the movie? I mean, they had MG42s yeah. in these <laughs> big concrete bunkers. Um, that's
2: not that but... far fetched, really. I mean, that's the only thing that I remember. It was Mike. It was Mike's face. And I remember this. It was like the first time Poor we all you. got together to talk, and it was Mike's face when he was—he was telling me that he thought the story of Alvin York was for war bonds and shit. And I was like, "That has nothing to do with it." And it wasn't the fact that Mike just was an idiot; it's because Mike didn't understand the the shit that I've figured out, right? It's—it's it's actually yeah. Personal. But I was also
3: willing to like. Hear you out, and yeah, like, you yeah, know, and that's the thing. That's you the were just difference. so shocked yeah, I was that like, what f- fucking, you thought was true, yeah,
2: right, is is not even the
3: case. Absolutely, it's-, it's like I, I thought that was true for many years, and it was like, okay, well, here's the thing. Now that I've heard something else, and I trust, or here's the thing, not necessarily even that. I'm just willing to hear somebody out. If what you said sounded like total bullshit and fucking whatever to me, I'd still be like, okay, I respectfully disagree with you. Like, I don't agree with that. But the way I was asking questions, you were able to answer them with actual evidence, physical and um, well, yeah, the letters are physical evidence and uh, all that shit. That's yeah. physical evidence. So
2: here's the document. Right. Don't argue with so, me. Yeah. Argue with the document. Right.
3: Argue with the document. <laughs> and it's like, I can't. And that, that was like, you know, it wasn't like I was fucking pissed off or whatever, or I thought of myself as anything less. It was just like, huh, that's really fucking interesting. You know, like I hadn't yeah. thought about it that way. And so and then
2: you went and sat in the shower and cried and ate cheese curds in the shower. Sat in the toilet wrong for two months. You know the crying little. I table warmed line.
3: them up before I ate them. Shut the fuck up.
2: Look, uh, what I've what I've learned now is that especially with this story is that people aren't going to take my word for it. It doesn't matter how many degrees I have. It doesn't matter my background with the research. If they are so ingrained, they're never going to listen to me. And so what I plan on doing is. When the book comes out, I'll self-publish a resource book, and I'll just give everyone that wants every document I used, it'll be right there. You yep. can get the book and read every single letter yourself, read every but document But most people yourself. won't do that.
3: Most people won't do that because... No, they won't, be- they won't go through that. Because episode. it's uncomfortable. Yeah, where's no, Mastriano's?
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, First yeah, one they, is him in German, then
4: him in yeah. Belgium. Yeah, they're, they're, gonna, they're gonna sit on Facebook and just tell you you're wrong, and you're gonna be like, Well, give me. Well, that's the thing
3: I'm is, wrong. like, well, I don't, I don't care. Cause. Here's the you thing. You hate America, if, if, and you're a If comment. somebody <laughs> presents somebody with factual <laughs> evidence, like actual tangible evidence, you can question the evidence, all that shit, that's fine, and you can still not believe it, but don't just turn a fucking blind eye to it. That's so retarded. Yeah.
2: No, but that—that's exactly what everyone does. And I I mean, hell, one of my opening lines in the book was, "This book will demolish the myth of Sergeant Alvin York." And people just get mad at the word "myth," just—and this is what it is. It's a myth. Well, it's it's like we were saying before. It
3: it does not. It does not. It does not discredit York at all because he was there. He he was in combat. He engaged in this particular firefight. No,
2: it's just it's not true. And the movie, the Warner Brothers movie, is the moment where it turned. Alvin York from a legend, just a legend, to a myth, and that's the whole point. Yep. All right. This is a
0: I just connect some dots, and then we'll jump into uh, we're going to go to imftb guys like we always do. But so last week we had on Dave Holland from Walking a Battlefield or Guadalcanal Walking a Battlefield, and we talked a lot about John Basilone at one point and stuff, and the myths of what happened. And like if you if you listen to it or get into it, like he talks about the real battle of you know, with Barcelona and stuff. And it's fucking fascinating. Like, he never burned his arm. Like, you know, that that was his bullshit. He didn't burn it in the way that they said he did. You know, and the positions was all different and everything. And it's just, again, like this myth gets perpetuated about somebody due to things. And then to peel the layers back, first, you have to fight, you know, culture and everything. And second, you just have to look for the real primary source. Well, you, you know, know if, if you, and just to
4: kind of bounce off that, I mean, I guess the, the version of the John Baselon thing in terms of its own... Um, I don't know the media history John alone, in the of John Basalone and sense of of the Guadalcanal event, but I know something we can always pull from is the Pacific, and the details that they had the the freedom and liberties that they used to either make it more badass or more interesting or whatever. Oh. The fact that people then take that as Gospel. this is. Yep. This yeah. is gospel. Spielberg and Tom Hanks touched this. This is this is this is this is this is everything you dare not, you know, take it back. But, you know, it's like with, with Dave's research, you know, it's it's different. And to me, I think it's more digestible and more more of an interesting scenario than, you know, hit firing and cradling a water cool mm-hmm. and you know moving yeah. bodies running out and pushing it out because you kind of go okay well really did that happen because we study this stuff and so it's just it was very curious to have dude. that other thing so again to that it's like building up this nomenclature and when people take for gospel then they will not bend or break to what they've seen or what they want to believe dude yeah
1: i I mean like in someone who's done you know my stuff with omaha beach and people you know have i have i you know say all oh, the, the, the bunkers, whatever, the defenses, all that shit was nothing like that wasn't saving Private Ryan. They say the same thing. Oh how dare you question that movie Spielberg and Tom Hanks are, are lords to us, basically. They've
2: got some of the <laughs> obstacles backwards. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the I least mean, of their problems, I,
4: James. I, I mean I mean oh, no. I mean don't get me I mean I'm I, I will say this it's like, you know, in terms of Spielberg and Tom Hanks, it's like In terms, if if we say like anything they touch, I mean like the team that they surround themselves in to do these productions and these huge movies, they do go beyond the 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 research and everything from the most part from what we had before because we never had that much research and dedication, and that detail to that and Like I will say that they brought back, they brought in a new era of filmmaking within that war and that time period. Yeah. However, they do do take some liberties of doing the Hollywoodisms that we all well, hate yeah. or we all we all don't like. So, well, yeah. what
1: I was gonna say is it's interesting because like what we're talking about, how people will say like, "How dare you?" This sort of thing, and then sometimes, and I've had this happen where like you present them the facts, like kind of what James is talking about, and they say. Well, it probably seemed that way to those guys, you know, or something like that. It's like they try to go uh-huh. to bargaining or something like that. And it's like, you just shut up and, and take the L, you motherfucker. Jesus Christ. So I, I get it. I, I, I totally yeah. get right, it's, it's a hell
2: of a bad, but I mean, I'm excited. I'm excited for the book to come out yep. purely to fight with people. I yeah. like that, yeah. <laughs> be fun. I'm FTB, yeah, the Colt Single Action Army, seven and
3: a half Inch. Yeah. Guys. so so
4: so just just to paint a picture real quick it's like anyone who hasn't seen this movie is going to see it afterwards you know take it with a grain of salt it's hollywood um but this is the the days before the war and they're in the middle Well, of before of the appalachia. u.s got involved
3: in the war it just want to be very specific.
4: right right sorry yeah thank you thank you and you know just in the middle of appalachia and just doing shit and so it's just fucking you know western guns out the ass and old technology stuff because you'll look at it and go why are you guys talking about f- percussion cap rifles if we're talking about fucking World war one so that's why so when you hear that we start talking about you know kentucky kentucky uh flintlocks and all that kind of stuff right. that's the reason there's this whole beforehand of that so suggest you go see the movie but you know take it with a grain of salt i always fall asleep until about three quarters of the way in and then i wake up and then it's always watch I'm the movie there, and then mountain. go buy
2: my book yeah. yeah. Go. To yeah.
4: <laughs> so
0: yeah. So. Shameless.
4: lovers Yeah. 1911s. Um, they did have one, but I don't think he ever they fired it for them, no. They're just straight yeah.
0: 11s too, not the A ones. Yeah, or
4: yeah. straight 11s. Yeah.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Which you know, those are like
4: what? Oh, hey, go back up now.
2: So my, this is one of the scenes, right? No, I mean the actual. so Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you see there, it's got early, but then it has Harry Parsons. So in the movie, they have Harry Parsons like going with the patrol, but Harry Parsons was the commanding officer of the whole regiment after uh, Kirby Stewart was killed. He did not go after York and the, he didn't just like abandon the entire rest of the, (laughs) you guys do you. Yeah. Yeah, Good luck. No. So they, that's going on the suicide mission. They've got Parsons like following York and being a part of everything. He's not in there at all, but that comes from Harry Parsons trying to like get a piece of the action when the movie was made. (laughs) Of <laughs> Just, Just a fun little side little. note. Yeah, the PO8. Yep, Luger. Yeah, of course, Luger's the Luger's
4: everywhere. The German, firing because they blanked them up. All yeah. the
1: German officers in the movie wear their peaked caps, not their helmets. That's supposed oh. to
2: be uh, Paul Vollmer. Yeah. Is the, is or, or, is, or is the guy who goes, Tell them
1: it's useless. Is that supposed to be Vollmer?
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's supposed to be Volmer, the one they captured. They keep calling him a, a German a lieutenant, but they didn't know. Okay. Yeah, with his stupid-ass peaked hat and Pusher's dumb face. Pusher! <laughs> <laughs> I'm from the Bronx. I, you talk better I English
0: than I do. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't go to that English school because I'm a wee-tod.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Probably coming the right right top with the roast day. there, there uh, uh, Brian. I'm from the tri-state well, take, area. I live an hour takes, away from New York City, so I can make it, lot yeah. of it. There's it's, a yeah. Yeah, it gets a lot of screen time.
4: Hi, hi and yeah. Brian, I don't understand your accent. You need also, to talk like this. Also, the beautiful you part is
2: uh, Otis Marithew is actually the one that claims he took the Luger off of Omer, mm. not yours. Oh, interesting. Huh. So that whole story, you know, he might have taken one for sure, but there is no written account of him like taking the German. In fact, I have recorded evidence from not only Marithew, but the officer, Harry Parsons, that proves Marithew the one that had the Luger. So you said that there was like nine millimeter
0: casings also found, and yeah. you don't know if that is from the the shooting competition in the fucking field trip or if that's from like the actual action. So is there a possibility that could have been the Luger that was picked up? I so, mean, you never uh, know. But the
2: argument there's a there's only York. So a lot of the stuff with the story is it only comes from York. No one else mentions it. Like the the German throwing a grenade, only York ever even like brought that into the discussion. Um, but there's also this this argument that volmer still had his pistol and was trying to shoot york the whole time and he missed every shot um the (laughs) issue with that he's not from tennessee for sure then right well and the issue with that is that um michael wickman his his uh when they interviewed him he said that he kept his gun trained on the german officer the whole time because they knew how outnumbered they were and if the germans figured that out they'd all be screwed So I don't see this idea of the German, you know, standing up in the middle of this firefight trying to shoot York and no one shooting him. Um, But, you know, they found some uh, nine millimeter casings on the ground. Someone could have fired. But no, I don't think it's likely because they they surrounded them so quickly uh, and took their guns off of them that I I, they know they took the Luger beforehand.
3: Hmm. There's that. It's actually a trap door. The trap door that's mocked up to look like a flintlock. Mocked up. Yeah.
2: Yeah, supposed to look like a Kentucky Shoot rifle. the V's.
3: You can scroll down, Nate. Sorry. We
0: speak mountain Sorry. talk, but we have mic uh, micrometers. You know where we can measure the differences of, of bullets. <laughs> yeah, the Oh, and this is
2: always the big one. Of course, we talked about this last time. Did yeah. York have a Springfield or an Enfield? You know, it's not fucking Enfield. He had an Enfield. God, that pisses mm-hmm. me off. Fuck you! It's the it's the it is the correct. Terminology no, to a technicality. A technicality. Is, Want to see him
0: turn red? US, he had a P fourteen. U.S. Oh, rifle. No, no,
2: no. P fourteen is a pattern fourteen.
3: because It was designed by the Brits.
0: Well, it's the same design. The U.S. It's model rifle
3: of nineteen. The U.S. Is, rifle. Is it model, a model
0: seventy? If it's a three hundred Winchester. Or the U.S. rifle is. model <laughs> nineteen seventeen variation?
3: was a different fucking.
2: Rifle altogether. It's got the same
3: so, rear sight. Off. It's just the the,
2: the little Formally, hole in the middle is a little different. It was formerly the American, but it is still an Enfield. It's not a fucking Enfield. It's closer. It to It is a the fucking, American Enfield. No, it's not.
3: No, it's There's not. Actually, a very cool story. It's a behind fucking Mauser action, closer yeah. to a fucking than a fucking Enfield. It was designed. The Pattern 14 had some engineers from the Enfield fucking whatever the fuck you call it company. Helped design it it was a british design and apparently everything british is an enfield the pattern 14 was being made by fucking eddie stone winchester and remington from 1914 and 1917 then they retooled the fucking machinery in all three of those factories and it became the u.s rifle model of 1917 you pick up an extra fucking round of the magazines the rimless cartridge and it was chamber for u.s you know, caliber 30, at that point, M1, before they went to the M2 ball ammo, it's a fucking model 1917 rifle. It's, if you fucking held one, it's nothing like an, the only thing that's an Enfield on there is the fucking safety is similar, but it's on the wrong side of the fucking receiver. So, I have a question for so you, it's Mike. it's a
4: 1917 did, Enfield, got it.
3: Mike, did, did they, uh... Wasn't
0: the standard practice for them to put six rounds in all the, uh the magazines because, you know, that was a they wanted to have an extra round because, you know, they're amazing. <laughs> Who are you talking to? Which one? Mike Birch. We're getting oh. we're getting the answer right now. So I, I think anyway. No,
4: I no, I think he no, I think he checked out because I trolled him. So say that again.
0: No, because the, from the redesign, three or three is bigger than 30 at six, and you can put 630 at six rounds oh. in the magazine. That's why I said you okay. can up an extra round in the magazine.
3: You can actually have seven with one in the tube on a fucking 1917. Really? Yes. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Yes. So. You are correct. Now, and did
0: York do that when he single-handedly took out 14,000 yeah. rounds? He probably
3: went out with seven rounds. Yeah. <laughs> Probably Luger, one hand thing? in seven rounds from an M17. No,
2: no. If you ask, if you ask everyone else, he went and picked up a 1903 because he liked it. And right. Yeah.
3: Did. I've heard that boomer fucking. He traded with a Marine. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. He B-R went, he went somehow in the middle of a, of a massive push by his unit, stopped, walked down the street, went to a supply depot, said, I don't like this rifle. And he picks up a 1903 and then walks back. The rifle he's he's been trained
3: on since Fort Gordon. The real
0: real reason is because, you know, if you think about it, the sights on on an M17, they have ears to protect it. And it's really hard to lick it. Yeah, Yeah. but a blade sight on an 03, you know, you're
3: good to go. There's a reason. Shut up, Nate. Shut up. No, you no, shut up. The 1903 was actually on your fucking packing list. If you go through the AEF's packing list, they had the fucking front sight hood on the 1903 as part of your fucking issued gear that you will have on your fucking rifle. So that's bullshit. So try. So it did you have it. like
0: a brush? he had the lick and then put it. Yes, in the, you know
3: you like, would have oh, okay. to. Okay, that, that's yes. how it would have gone.
0: Yep. Q tip.
4: I, I was good. I was going to say the reason why they want to go with the O three so they can sell it for fucking three grand. No, they were. They say were? that you,
0: Sergeant. No, you touched I'll tell you why. Because the U.S. Army was still using it in 1940. To be fair, I do so. have
2: his uh, his rifle's number. So if you ever, oh really, want to find it, do you know? Do you know? What manufacturer it was. If you have this I also, number, I also send yeah. it to us. I also, <laughs> I, for his 1911, we'll I have it because the oh, really? uh, right. War Department tried to find it after the war for him. They did like a whole search trying to find it. If you can figure out what huh. what uh, uh,
3: who who made the 1917 rifle. That would help because the serial numbers. There's three different. And
2: well, I may be wrong on. It. I do know for a fact I have is. Uh, That's cool. 1911. What was it in Enfield?
5: Or
3: was it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. The, re- been the been reason. <laughs> Honestly, God, like I said it earlier. The reason they didn't put the fucking 1917 in there is because that was a quote unquote British gun. This is America.
2: On a, on a side. we well, it's called though, an We an do have. We do uh, in there,
1: <laughs> they have the Vickers machine guns in there.
3: I will die on that hill for the fucking 1917 versus whatever
4: no, I, 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 I I don't disagree. Yeah, we're with all you. very well. I'm just pushing your buttons because yeah. I love right, doing it. Anyway, nice.
3: At least it's got <laughs> the straight bolt handle. At least it's correct. Oh yeah, I right. think you
4: did. I think you also did comment on that exact same picture last yep. time. I think yeah, you said like, oh yeah, no. At least it's like the correct bull handle, the, not yeah, fucking it's... straight out. Never handled a uh, rifle right. like a Made this up one. scene.
2: Yeah, look at that. Look at the psalm. Yeah, look at this, um, yeah. Yeah, look at this. Um, <laughs> those deep trenches, look that, yeah.
0: Look at that oh irrigation God. ditch. It's
1: got fucking mm-hmm. reinforcement and everything.
3: Back to the Kentucky rifle. Oh, an
0: actual Kentucky
3: rifle. Yeah. I actually really want one of those. Oh, they're awesome. Like a thirty-six I'll, caliber. I'll
4: blow off my. Dude, yeah, I'll blow off my eyebrows. Though I have to get left-handed. So. <laughs>
3: fucking Southpaw piece. I got shit. my beard
0: blown off. Yeah.
3: But yeah, yeah you got it's, the actually, rifle. it's actually like
4: the one rifle I can actually have, like in left handed and not been like it be historically correct. The 18A6- oh,
3: 18693, yeah, the French troops with the Labels, yeah. whatever. They're fucking awesome rifles. We found um, Bri- Brian
4: them. and I actually, real quick, Mike, did they ever make a 22 trainer?
3: Uh, I think about- they did. I don't, don't quote me on that single don't. shot 22 trainer. I think they yeah. at some point they did, but like. I don't know. We
4: were we we were we were at the end of one of our gaming sessions. We were sitting down with Sean, and we were like looking through, and we found one, and we we looked abnormally weird, and we figured it was it's a, like a yeah. I, I don't know. With, uh, I, I can't yeah, answer yeah. that
3: with confidence. So
0: yeah, no worries. I just thought maybe yeah, the G ninety eight. Yep. Now we'll um, make a
3: soundbite of that
0: for you, Mike. I can't answer that with confidence. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: We don't see it uh, in the movie, but the um, actual guys that were attacking them on the hill—they they would have had the uh, 98 Azs, right?
2: Yeah, the the Bavarian sappers. Yeah, sappers. sappers yeah. yeah, yep, yeah. That's right. And they had one MG 815. Mm. Because they like, did find it was just the, rested on the ground, right? Yeah, they had just showed up. They didn't have time to mm-hmm. set it up, so there was never actually any machine and gun just, firing just, at them.
0: Just to touch on that, so like. You'd mentioned James, like in all the reports, they talk about like all this crazy shooting, you know, and that eventually turned into machine guns. But a whole unit of guys firing bolt actions at each other sounds like a fucking machine. In a tiny ravine, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Mm -hmm.
2: you know, and the uh, story—the most I ever saw was like 35 machine guns. But the reality (laughs) is, the sappers had one machine gun, and they did find the uh, the connectors that from the belt to -hmm. prove there was one there. But there was never any like pile of casings to show there was a machine gun firing. And instead, the casings are spread out along the ridge. So what happened was these guys all show up, and they open fire, and if you have 30-odd men firing in a tiny ravine and quick succession it can sound like a machine gun plus don't forget there was an american advance going on with actual machine guns yep, on top exactly. of the hill and whatnot firing around so it's a loud yeah. crazy going through crazy like, and
3: shit it's gonna the echo is gonna sound like it's right in front of exactly, you yeah, exactly exactly
2: like, it's not big so you know that it makes sense for where that d- that decision came from mm-hmm. uh, percussion muskets mm-hmm. yes yeah yeah and yeah. Yeah,
4: black powder it go poof there we go uh yeah and then and then MG you have the uh yeah There's the mgo two set up there, like,
1: dual wheel. Vehicles. those
3: are vickers though <laughs> those aren't fucking Yeah, MGO totally vickers. for the shot <laughs> yeah those are vickers love the sleds no
4: w- no why why are those vickers and the what, fluted the fluted uh,
0: like uh um, the fluted oh show. you're right but what about this one they have real
3: mgo8 and that's Ngo, that's
2: an mgo8 barrels but the one on the left okay but that yeah. but that's oh you're vickers. right yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. okay is it is
2: it not just the reflection no, it's not the no, really MG8 that was flat. the, flash, no, no. the flash hider
3: is also different. The front sights, yeah, it's I mean stupid right. details and like the grip is different, the sights on there. Yeah. But
2: Yeah, that is fluted. Vague, you can barely see it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, MG8s and you know they should have been MG815s uh without mm-hmm. the with the sled.
3: Well, I mean, they would have had 08s if it was an actual static position.
2: Yeah, but it wasn't. Right, that's
3: exactly, the yeah. So the even that is fucking 80-something pounds of shit. And then also you have, remember, you have a team with that. Yeah, exactly. The Oth- <laughs> you have a, Mike, a you Mike, machine gun Mike, loaded like right to the Osanzo, go with a belt. Yeah.
4: Mike, Asanzo is a wet dream right here. Yeah, <laughs> grab the
3: fucking machine gun and just yeah. Shoot yeah. Out Press out yeah. E. Yeah. Press yeah. E and... Be done within seconds. Yep, yeah. seconds. there's the Vickers, yeah. And then you have the Vickers. Yep, that's yeah. a later mob, but yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. but you can see here it's got yeah, that, that that's a, that a big, that's complete, complete, complete the uh, uh, digits, I forgot the yeah. fucking
2: model but like in Roar one they were yeah you know. sure that's very interesting So you know you've got all these issues where and you know maybe you know in the future oh Michael will be able to help us shed light on what actually happened in that ravine yeah maybe. we'll call it uh,
0: in the red the real story of the tax evasion of Sergeant York <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, oh, that starts it with, with an IRS agent like knocking on a a, a, like a gold star house, you know. It's actually, like, should we move oh, on, we'll on to the uh...
3: <laughs> okay, go ahead.
1: I'm just gonna say that uh, you know, because you just said that, James. Uh, I, I am a. he is I am doing an illustration about this event, uh, with and uh, and he and Mike B, uh, were, were are, are helping me get every little detail right with it. So, yeah, that's that's a fun thing,
2: maybe actually little by to. little to see it. So, next time we talk about it, we can maybe show an image. And right. say, hey look, here's what the archaeology actually says about what happened. Right. right.
1: And it's it's like little details here and there. So uh, yeah, it's, it's it's little tiny things that, you know, just everything has to be perfect. Unlike what was depicted in the
0: movie. Brian, do you want Brian, do we want to hand it off to you first? Sure. Well, first I'd just like to say thanks so much, James, for giving us, you know, time again after fucking the idiot from Wisconsin fucks everything up.
3: Yeah, so, I'm really you know. good
0: at that. Yeah, he really is, you know. This, that and the other thing but um no dude thanks and it's it was really awesome to hear the story again you know and it just every time i hear it i'm like i want a signed book when it comes out like <laughs> it just i, yeah, I am I i'm more it, than dude.
2: happy to talk about it um and mm-hmm. i can even put in a shameless plug if anyone is in kansas city in uh january on the 24th i believe it will be. we'll send sam he lives uh, in kansas City. <laughs> yeah on the, on the 24th i'll be uh, presenting at the world war one museum oh cool nice bit of october uh, january he oh, okay. literally oh, just the, okay, said yeah.
3: January twenty uh,
0: fourth. <laughs> well, I'm also <laughs> fucked up because if I remember correctly, the battle occurred in October and the October eighth coming up. Yeah. yeah. So, so for so. y'all, I don't know yep. when
2: y'all. When is this episode going to be published? Uh,
0: the the third of October.
2: So yeah, next week. Okay, so, so on October eighth. Yeah, cool. On mm-hmm. eighth October is when I'm announcing it publicly. So.
0: Oh, cool. So you guys get a little early. Uh, yeah, yeah, know, yeah it's, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, everyone listening, it's
2: an early. It's five days. Yeah, October eighth for the anniversary is the day I'm publicly announcing the book because people for years have been thinking i'm just kind of full of shit and not actually writing the first <laughs> hundred
4: order get pre-order signed copies there you go, <laughs> there you
2: go.
0: <laughs> yeah now look at my website i am not full of shit at jamesgregory.com
2: <laughs> actually it's the uh, it's the other 16.com ah yes but no dude thank you so much for
0: joining us and of course, uh, you know th- I appreciate it it's an interesting film and i know that we kind of used it as a jumping off point to really get into the minutia of the real story and that you know The film is what it is. It's a late 30s, early 40s, you know, story about a man that did something in the first world war. You know, like James said, you know, if it wasn't for the 16 guys with York, if it wasn't for York taking the role he needed to at that time, none of them would have made it out of there. So it's a very interesting, you know, late 30s, 40s look at at a depiction of the first world war. Um, You know, that being said, it's got a lot of pros. It's got a lot of cons. It's a really run-of-the-mill movie in my opinion, but it's worth watching for the constant, just conceptualizing it like in the Second World War and how big it was for the draft and like how a lot of guys just watched it and were like after Pearl Harbor and really did want to join the military and things. So it's very interesting to look at that point. But long story short, I mean, I'd give this movie like a four out of 10. Like you should watch it for its historicalness and it's good just to see how like World War One has been portrayed and on you know the silver screen, but it really is a product of its time of misconceptions of myths, you know, of, of 22 years of lies, you know, boxed up and shoved out to the public, you know, and in a way it's, I wouldn't call it propaganda. I would call it like the biggest misconception ever put to film, you know, and then just, boxed
4: up again and then shipped out even further. Yeah. Literally, you know, yeah, it's <laughs> fucking
0: crazy. So,
3: Mr. Birch, what do you think? Yeah, like you hit a lot of the main points that I wanted to talk about, and like you know, you have to understand the historical significance of at the time this film came out, there was a war going on, we weren't involved, and it was like okay, well, I get that and everything, and then once we got involved, like James said earlier, like then it was like oh, I'll fucking screen this everywhere we possibly can. So I w- I, w- I would view it as a film that was not totally based in truth. That was eventually used as propaganda, blah, blah. blah. That's also hindsight. So at the time, it was a cool war film. You see this guy that a lot of people could relate to, but it's funny because most of their target audience would not have been able to afford to go to the fucking movies and see this, right? The relatable audience of like the, the deep south fucking, you know, working class people, they would have never known about this until they were drafted in probably saw this in a screening or whatnot in the military, but like um, yeah, it it just got so much wrong. And the fact that people knew that at the time irritates me. And so, yeah, I'm going to give it a three out of 10. And there's just not lowers because yeah, there was historical significance and people enjoyed it and whatever. But the reason it only gets three is because it just fueled the flames of the myth around this entire story for generations to come. And I know that's a hindsight approach of looking at it, but like, again, like you said, the the film itself is really mediocre. Like they didn't really put a lot of effort into the production. In my opinion, they could have, maybe they did, but it doesn't come across as similar films from the time. But um, yeah, so three out of 10. Who do you pass the talking pillow to? Oh, uh, Mike A.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, it's kind of like what else needs to be said at this point. But no, obviously, like I feel the same when it comes to these points. I always when it comes to when it comes to this and a lot of these older war movies, it's it's you know, it's an it's an academic experience. It's not really like, you know, I'm not rating the movie based on really the quality of the movie. I'm rating the movie based on what I kind of learn about the time period in which it was made and you know what it all means and stuff like that. That's all interesting. The actual movie itself, yeah, it has a bunch of horse shit in it that's just, you know, dated and uh, not uh, not something I would consider, you know, uh, quality. And obviously what it did for, you know, we were talking about the propaganda and the fact that it just basically twisted more facts into myths. Um, I probably, I, I do have to say there is some like element to it that's like funny to me because of how dated and uh, you know ridiculous a lot of it is so I don't know I, I think I'm also going to give it a 3 out of 10
5: Decent.
1: Uh, Mr. Nate um
4: yeah I mean I remember you know I think I'm the only one who has actually like sat down and like fallen asleep twice to this movie <laughs> um, you make that
1: sound like that was hard to do
4: well no sleeping was not hard to do watching it was hard to do um but i mean you know again it's like you always have to put these these films in their own box and you have to figure out you know okay when did it come out what what is surrounding what's the time period what's the angle that kind of stuff um i do agree with with i think it was um mike b's uh uh, thought, which was, you know, it it didn't quite line up to the same time period. You know, you always have to put it within that box, but you have to then also look at it. like where does it compare to all the other movies that we've kind of looked at and done. And you know, we didn't really kind of talk about the movie in the beginning because we wanted to jump right into James stuff because we find that a whole lot more interesting than this fucking movie. So you know, the thing is, is like we going into it, it's like we we knew we all don't like it but we have to conceptualize it but the thing is is that if you take you know Guadalcanal Diary for example and how many movies we've done since the first time we did this you know we've seen a lot more movies of this time and we've seen a lot I feel like I would have to say better movies of that time you know movies that really did emphasize you know more character more stuff and yet still had a propaganda-esque kind of feel to it you know guadalcanal diaries are very much of that i know it's three years different a lot has changed i think no two years difference i know a lot has changed within those two years even when the movie was made but if you compare the two it's like we all of us as a whole liked guadalcanal diary a whole lot more than we like this am i correct yeah absolutely oh yeah yeah so like so like just thinking of it like that it's like it just doesn't hold up to me and and I've fallen asleep twice, like, like I know what to expect. And I've fallen asleep twice, you know? So it's like, it just, just didn't hold up. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, I can't rag on for that, but you know, Mike B hit some great thoughts and, and I agree with all that, particularly with, you know, the pushing of the, you know, the lies and, and pushing people's own agendas and, and saving themselves and their own personal gain. And, you know, you add all that to the whole, you know, turning myth into... or I would say, actually, Mike, A it's more like turning myths into facts. Because you said facts into myth. I actually look at it as myths into facts. You know, people are dead set that this is what happened and this is what's happened because it happened in a movie. And, yep. and it happened in these forms and stuff. So I think it actually is the opposite where it's it's myths into facts and people will quote it as facts and people like james who are saints going in and really diving into this you know because they're just turbo nerds going into it and really looking at it and going you know you are fucking wrong and i will fight you for it and i think you know those people are are, need to be commended more uh as as these things have kind of being brought to light it doesn't take away what people have done you know sergeant uh, sorry pfc york was in <laughs> world war one we can't take that away from him but you know we can fight the fact that maybe he was given a leg up post-war you know and and we need to you know kind of re- we want those facts to come to light and i post-war. think that's more important than that um oh really was it that bad it wasn't wasn't great uh i didn't even hear okay. it. But... <laughs> okay okay right <laughs> post-war all right um but yeah so James, we'll hand it off to you, man. We all oh, What's your, what rating? your rating? Him, what but, the fuck yeah. are you doing? Oh sorry, crap. Dude, I'm tired, yeah, okay. man. Right, it's been a long time. Give day. your fucking rating. Okay. Uh three screamell Gibsons in a ten. It sucks. Yep. Okay.
2: Well, right. I thank you. I, I think uh I, I've just dealt with this movie for so long, but I, I do feel like I, I have to take a a little more uh historical approach to it. That I mean the movie itself is, and I agree with Nate, it is, it is taking fact and turning it into myth. I mean, my whole book is about the fact that Alvin York is just a legend until the movie, and that cements it as an American myth. And it's what, it's what the masses really see, and it's a new generation. But I don't think that that, that it does annoy me, but it cannot subtract from the fact that this movie is a product of a certain moment from a certain group of people you know, it is, it is a movie set just before the Americans go into the war by two brothers who are Jewish and who are actively making movies uh, that are promoting this idea that America should get into the war. And Alvin York's story does, in fact, fit perfectly with this idea of someone who doesn't want to fight, but duty calls, and he realizes that it's bigger than he is, and then he goes to war. I mean, this movie is absolutely the perfect example of this idea of breaking the interventionist idea and getting involved because it's the right thing to do. And I, the movie itself does do that. I mean, even the Senate pulled it for being propaganda, but th- I mean, so for this purely for just the role this movie had, it may not be the best. It doesn't compare to, you know, any of the movies at the time, but for what it did and what it inspired, I I purely think this movie does hold up to its merits. And it is even on whatever the list is for like significant movies of history, it's on the list. And it's for a good reason. It's not because it tells the true story of Alvin York, but because it does something in that historical moment to get people behind the war, to get people involved. And so if I take that, I would have to say, you know, it's like a five or a six out of ten. Just purely. Pick one. For what? It, six. It's a six. Okay. But, but that is purely from the standpoint of how significant yeah. it actually was historically. Now, content, I'm giving it a one. It's a <laughs> one out of ten for the content, <laughs> right? It is nowhere near the truth. But we're not here to determine you know, what yeah. the truth was. That movie, that was just a consequence of the film, mm-hmm. right? Everyone believing a new myth, that's a consequence. It's, it's collateral damage. But the reality is that film was designed for a specific purpose and it accomplished that purpose very well.
3: Uh, very well spoken.
0: So, putting all of our scores into the computer that will tell us on the Vietnam War will end, we get a score of 3.8. So, you know, I mean, you <laughs> only because beats of James. Hyena Road. I'm glad Yay. you helped that point eight. That's oh, I'd I'd rather watch this for 24 hours straight than Hyena Road ever again. Yes, All right, you know, I'll bring it back that, to
3: that piece but... of shit. Yeah, oh,
4: I would oh my God. pound my nuts flat with a wooden mallet. <laughs> hey, that's my. All right, soundbite yeah, well, that. <laughs> I'm stealing it for that movie only. That's that's where I stand on that movie. Yeah, God, <laughs> uh, oh, that movie sucked ass. But
0: this is a very interesting film. Like James said, you know, and I touched on a little bit. Just putting it in its time. That's the biggest thing I've learned about this podcast: it's so easy to tear shit apart if you don't understand it. You know, okay. and when you put it in its place, you're like, you can still tear it apart. But you get it. You know, you get the full picture. that People do things for a certain reason, you know? Yeah. So, that's why
1: I say these older ones are an academic experience, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, very much so. And it's interesting to see, like, you know, where the point of... Really, in the late 40s, like we were talked about in the Fixed Bayonets episode, like that's where war movies really became what they are today. You know, beforehand, it was just, like, the story that he also goes and does this. Like, you know, Alvin York wanted to just tell his religious Bible thumper story, and it's like, nobody's going to watch that. Yeah. <laughs> so they had to, you know convince him and everything, but, uh, no, it's, uh, awesome. So again, uh, James, you want to say, uh, where people can, you know, find you and your website and stuff, your Facebook page too, if I remember correctly. Yeah,
2: sure. I mean, I, I, have a Facebook page, but there's also a Facebook page for the other 16. Um, there's a website, the other 16.com and you know, the book uh, comes out on uh, December 19th from Texas A&M university press. Uh, it's available for pre-order right now. So for anyone that wants to pre-order it, and uh you know if i'm looking forward to it and i'm always very open to having a dialogue and discussion about it so even if people want to send me an email through the site or something i am more than happy to talk with anyone that wants to talk about this
0: i'm a candidate for the uh governor of pennsylvania and i would like to talk to you about your film it it, it
2: almost used to to talk it almost sounded like you were
1: you were egging people on there james but yeah come on Come on. I mean, look. No, that's the beauty
2: not. of it. If you do, if you do good research, the beauty mm-hmm. is you're never wrong because I can back everything yeah, I say. Yeah, that's why. Like, yeah, you it's know? like you know, I. I and yeah.
4: and if he can't, he'll admit it. Yeah, yeah. and if if you, you know, get me,
2: if you like, if you pull out a document signed by 16 men saying, "Hey, Alvin York was a great dude and he did everything," and we we all lied. Okay, fine. You have a document. We're good. But. <laughs> until then <laughs> we know that's not gonna happen <laughs> exactly. I, I couldn't
0: i couldn't agree with you more because i used to hate this until i started like making films and stuff but it's like unless you've been there and done it you've done four fucking years of research like you can be smug about it you can be like yeah. i have the facts and i can back
2: well, everything
3: and also, up also he had a discussion not with us here he had yeah. a discussion with us and yeah. we yeah. asked him questions he didn't get hostile and he's just like no, no, here, here, me here's what actually happened. It's, like, it's not shit. me. You know, right. that's the
2: end. It's not me. I'm just the mediator. A historian is oh, yeah. a mediator mm-hmm. between the documents and the reality. It's not me you're I'm arguing with. Definitely not with. a historian, then. You're arguing with the doc. You're mad about calling him Corporal York. Don't argue with me, argue with the War Department. Right here's the document. Right? This is not. This is not me. Like yeah. just saying out. No, it's is not a quote. I'm, I'm just telling people official. that yep. if they if so. they want to hit
3: you up, like it's not going to be a fucking battle. You'll just answer any questions. Yeah, they no, have. please,
2: I want to. Yeah. and that's why I'm releasing yep. the source book so. so that everyone can even double check my work. Excellent. We got to make a movie of PhDs fighting each other over academic. Well,
3: he's a PhD <laughs> candidate. Don't fucking agree. Oh, I'm, oh, sorry. I'm don't, sorry. Don't, don't go months, that fucking
2: give far. Give me six months, and the next time you have me on here, Dr. Gregory <laughs> can fucking tell you to suck it. Oof. Your title's long enough, dude. Holy
0: fuck. Like, God damn it! <laughs> yeah, yeah well, you've earned it. you did it awesome, right this so. time. We'll put that in hey. a oh! I mean, to be
2: fair, Nate, to be fair. You did get uh, Brian's recording from the last one, so you can still insert yeah. that you know, he's whole do section that. of him fucking up the intro. <laughs> I was already going to do that. Don't worry. <laughs> I love you too, Nate.
4: <laughs> I have everyone but Mike B laughing, and I can so make it work. We yeah. can. Yeah. We
2: can definitely insert. that,
3: oh, that, yeah, was, no, what I, is that
0: was good. That was going to be the top. Just the one constant, of my the, constant fuck point. ups. Yeah. I'm just. I, shaking I have a book head. of like Nate's quotes, and the first one I love is "Don't piss off the editor."
2: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yep. Brian, but, sign uh, off.
0: Hey guys, thanks for joining us. James, are awesome. Buy this man's book. Read some real buy fucking it. history. Throw out every other source for York you've ever heard of, and just this is awesome. And thanks again, dude. So well, thank you. Fuck yeah. yeah. Look, this
4: man took time to do it again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Say what this
3: is. All right. Because so, of my buy ends. his books. Yes. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, we're still recording by the way I'm still good I've still got I've still got shit on Audacity we really don't know that until we see the moving? fucking fire yeah. you
0: schmuck
2: I got shit <laughs> <stay> going <laughs> alright so see um, the waves alright let me walk you guys let me walk James through yes please so I make sure I don't pull a mic <laughs> yeah.
0: thanks for joining us if you enjoyed this episode make sure to leave a rating otherwise Mel Gibson won't stop screaming if you like this content make sure to check out our Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram pages. If you want to directly support our work, make sure to check out our Patreon. All these links are in the description below. Until the next time, Scuttlebutt out.